Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, Spikers. It's Tuesday, the 15th of March. I bet you're thrilled, aren't you? It's Tuesday. I bet you're thinking, oh, it's Tuesday already. Only yesterday was Monday. Tomorrow's Wednesday, and then it's birthday. Yeah! 39 plus that. I'm a St. Patrick's Day boy. Uh, There's no Irish in me, though. No Irish. Well, not at this precise moment. But uh, anyway, coming up on the programme for you this morning, it rumbles on the cenotaph. I mean, yesterday I told you it was going to build, and I'm not wrong on it. Uh, Also, don't be beastly to moles. Crufts in a new cruelty row after it turned out that a German shepherd who was deformed won the first place in the German breed round. I mean, it's not right, is it? The Auschwitz guard too sick for trial and chimes are up for the ice cream vans. All of that and more this morning as we kind of chuck it against the wall and then see what sticks and some of it will work and some of it will will work really well and some of it won't work at all. But those bits you'll never hear about because, like the Top Gear programme, I edit them out because this programme is pre-recorded. This is, in fact, 1987 and I'm doing the programme in 87. Then we can listen to it. If we think it sounds funny, then we leave all the bits in. If we don't think it's funny, then we take the bits out again. It's a bit like Top Gear. Now, the story was, as you remember, and I'll encapsulate it and make it as succinct as I possibly can for you, that Top Gear... And do you know how much this programme is running at per episode? Do you know what it's running at now? I mean, to be honest with you, you you, you could run a small radio station for a year on it. £650,000 per episode. Six hundred. That's nearly a million pounds per episode. What in God's name are they doing? £650,000 of your money. And this is the BBC supposedly saving money. Well, they might as well close down local radio. Seriously, all their local radio should go immediately. 650000 for a programme that will get a pitifully small audience. It'll be lucky to pull £2 million. If it gets any more than that, you know, I'll be very surprised. So they decide that Matt LeBlanc is going to go out there and they're going to have this bloke. They've obviously booked him for so many days. So they had him outside uh, St Paul's Cathedral. By the way, for the lady who wrote to me saying, I felt sorry for the couple getting married, it was a fake wedding, dear. It was a fake wedding and they were all in on it. It was all, it was all you know, done for the cameras. And uh, so Matt LeBlanc does it. Never funny in Friends. Never funny. And, um, or in any other programme he's ever done. And so they decide to book him because this programme cannot survive with Chris Evans in America, which is rather bizarre because they didn't know who the last team were. And so they thought, let's bring in an American. So they've got seven presenters. Biggest waste of money you've ever seen. There must be other programmes at the BBC spitting blood going £650,000. And you've upset Britain's war dead. I mean, you know, the one thing that you don't upset. And I would have thought that somebody with half a brain cell, even a tiny brain cell, would realise that if you do anything near a memorial which honours people who gave their lives, you are playing with fire. Seriously, you're playing with fire. And so they have a car doing these, this sort of spinny wheelie kind of thing, in full view of the cenotaph. Whether it was by the cenotaph, it doesn't make any difference. It was in full view of the cenotaph. And what is the biggest load of cobblers that you've ever heard in your entire life is the excuse that came out yesterday that this will never be shown. That's what Chris Chris Evans said. I apologise unreservedly because he's the executive producer. He tried to make it out yesterday. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of him. He knows he's not stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing because he has successful programmes. On this one, he made a huge mistake. And the mistake was you involved a war memorial to the dead of the world wars. You really, really screwed up big time on this time. 
Really, really screwed up big time. The, I mean, you might as well have filmed in a cemetery, you know, and just driven the car through through the cemetery and gone, well, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Because that's how bad it is. It's as bad as that and then some. Because we've all lost people in the wars. I lost some of my family. You probably lost some of your family. And to see a programme on the television about cars and hot rods and, you know, all that kind of stuff, accelerating round parts of London which involve the cenotaph, I'm afraid, is unforgivable. So yesterday I thought, you know, I'd better tweet something and go, I think uh, that maybe head should roll, until I realised that the head that rolls would be Chris Evans. He's the executive producer of that programme. He claims he didn't know about it till yesterday. That must be a lie. That must be. The BBC have said this. You can't just organise something that, that quickly. You've got to get permission. You've got to write to various people in London to say, we want to do this. They have to brock the roads off to make sure it's done. So you get inconvenienced. By the way, you're also going to be paying for cleaning up the roads afterwards after all these wheel spins on it. So four months ago, the BBC claimed all this was sorted out. So either somebody's not telling Chris Evans or he's not in control of his own programme. And now that the costs have spiralled to £650,000 an episode, this, this programme, I mean, you know, you'd have been better off with the last team. They should never have tried to tinker with it. It was a, a programme last team. They did something on a racetrack. This now, the budget has spiralled out. It's almost like megalomaniacs have gone out there and they've taken, you know, as much money from the BBC coffers as they possibly can. They're supposed to be saving money. Over, I mean, nearly three quarters of a million pounds on one show? And they're axing everything that they filmed yesterday. So what would that have cost? £100,000? At least. At least £100,000. And nobody working on that programme, nobody thought we're filming near a war memorial. Nobody thought of that. I mean, dear God in heaven. You know, somebody needs to get fired for that. Who was the buffoon who came up with the idea of filming near the cenotaph? The Queen, the Royal Family, the Armed Forces, the Old Soldiers, the Chelsea Pensioners, they all march past it. And you're doing bloody, excuse me, you're doing wheelies by it. I think we want a bit more than an apology. I seriously think we want more than an apology. This programme should be axed immediately. If this was anybody else, they'd have gone to prison. Last one did go to prison for swinging on it, if you remember. I mean, it's just, it's just not on. And I don't care whether you support, you know, the programme. And I told you before, big fan of Chris Evans. He's not a stupid man. He's very, very clever. But this was his biggest cock-up of all time. The, you know, all the old soldiers are going to be going, you did what? As far as they're actually concerned, that's as good a sight of the war dead as anywhere in Europe. That's what it is. That's, it's a monument. The cenotaph is a monument to those people who died. And you've just basically gone, stick your two fingers up at it. And it's not on. It's not on. And I suspect that uh, something's going to happen. It better do. Otherwise, again, typical BBC, isn't it? Burying its head in the sand. You know, uh, Jimmy Savile uh, 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 the BBC. I can't believe it. No, really. Let's dismiss that one. Rush it under the carpet. You know, everything brushed under the carpet. The other day, what did we have? A paedophile being being fated by BBC programmes because he was a good rapper. But as we, as we discovered over the weekend, uh, if you put his sort of rapper name in, he doesn't come up with anything. Because he wasn't charged under his rapper name, he was charged under his real name. He's a convicted paedophile. He's on the sex offenders list for seven years, for God's sake. And there they are, putting him on all these radio shows. Yeah, you're really great, you're this. He's a paedophile. And the BBC go, ooh, ooh, how did that happen? It's because you're not in control of what's going on down there. Somebody can actually book something in London and nobody at the BBC knows anything about it. Nothing. They know nothing. Eyes closed, but you're paying for it. 
You're paying for it. That's going to cost you a small fortune to get out of that one. Even the Salaf says, you donut, Evans. He's boss but claims ignorance. Stunt planned for four months, says BBC. He says he learned of it only yesterday. It's not possible. It is not possible. What, the executive producer of the programme doesn't know what the hell the staff are doing? What, so somebody goes and books it and gets, oh, you, you can't have Matt LeBlanc tomorrow because he's filming this thing. Oh, right, OK. Didn't know anything about it. No, no. Apart from the fact that he turned up in his pyjamas, I'm assuming that's considered funny. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that will probably cost you about £100,000. I was right. I said 100000 and that's exactly what it is. It's just absolutely appalling. It is, I mean, you know, you might think maybe I'm egging the pudding a little bit, and I am. I am egging the pudding. But frankly, you know, I think it's about time we learnt a little bit of respect in this country. And I couldn't give a flying forex if it's, if it's Top Gear or Blue Peter or Danger Mouse. I couldn't care less. It's a case of you're dishonouring the war dead. And when you do that, you cross that line between decency and utter filth. And that's the way it's coming out. I'm sorry. It's, something's got to be done at the BBC. And somebody somewhere's got to take responsibility of it. If you really think that you could... I'll tell you what, why don't you just, you know, why, why are you bothering doing anything at the Cenotaph anyway, BBC? And getting sort of... And here comes Her Majesty. Why do you bother with that? Why don't you just have a car running into it and run them down? Make it a bit of fun, would it, for Top Gear? Probably would, actually, really. Uh, I find it difficult, says Pat, to believe that Chris Evans did not know about this episode. Also appalled by the cost of it. £650,000 a show. £650,000. For what? For a pile of doggy-doos, ladies and gentlemen. For something that's not even going to be shown. £650,000. That's how out of control it's got. It's ridiculous. Steve, I've just been fined 600 quid as I've defaulted on two of my TV licence payments. I want to pay, but I couldn't. Now it's even harder. Well, you'll probably go to prison, I should imagine. That's what happens to people like you. Hanging, I think. Hanging in prison for not having a licence. Yes. I mean, it makes me want to not pay a licence, actually. It really makes me want... You know, I'm, I'm so angry about it. I couldn't be angrier if I tried. I'm equally angry about Crufts. You know, a ghastly dog show at the best of times. And uh, here it is. Uh, not the first time... That, uh, that a dog has been crippled. This one here is crippled on its back legs. Uh, and uh, the other one was uh, the Kennel Club refused to mark down docked tails in 95, despite vets branding it cruel. A 2004 judge quit over claims she was a puppy farmer. They've got more, you know, obscenities going on within Crufts than you could ever shake a stick at. And so here, this German shepherd won best in breed. It's got a sloping back and appeared to struggle to walk during the parade. And this wins. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't kind of get it either. Although, actually, if you really don't want to upset yourself today, you don't want to look in some of the papers because they've got uh, pictures of uh, dead puppies. And the only reason I mention it is you know how angry I get about people who puppy farm or who traffic dogs. I would happily have them strung up. I think it's absolutely the most appalling trade. There is a dreadful picture of a load of puppies, about six or seven of them. They've been dumped. They're dead. They're dead puppies. They didn't make it through the system. Uh, and there's hard and fast rules which I'll give to you. You'd never want to buy a puppy that's under eight weeks old. You really need to see the mother. Uh, in most cases, these uh, puppies are trafficked. If they die, they just throw them in the hedgerow. They couldn't care less about them. They're not really interested. These people aren't animal lovers. They're, they're people after a bit of cash. 
They're vile, despicable people. And once I've told you what to look for, hopefully you will be better informed. Because that's what we like this programme to be. We like to do, you know, the light bits and the hard bits and the, and the silly bits and the bits you go, oh, that's nice, isn't it? But if you really want to cheer yourself up, it's back to Happy Feet and the Dancing Penguins with Lord of the Dance. I mean, that's the kind of thing we need first thing in the morning. Uh, still to come, James Martin on tour. The ladies are out there. Oh, they fancy James Martin. They really fancy him. You know, that man can flip an egg and people go... Oh. And he's, uh, he's doing a 32-date sellout tour. I get roughly the same on this programme. I start the 4am spike and a lot of people go... Oh. They do. <laughs> Not in a good way. Not in a good way. Uh, plus, we found a fat boy. Uh, Madonna's at it again. And uh, the stroke man. Talk properly, they said to him. He's had a stroke. Talk properly. Can you talk properly? And the Auschwitz guard... Too sick for trial. He's 95. Oh, no, no. I don't believe you're ever too sick for trial. He apparently saw nothing, knew nothing that went on at Auschwitz. Perhaps he was deaf and dumb and blind at the same time. Quarter past four. Ferrari, only on LBC. Look at the team. Uh, with you this morning, Vladimir Putin orders the withdrawal of Russian forces from Syria, saying the military campaign has largely achieved its goal. Has it? And should we really trust the most dangerous man in the world? Londoners condemn a whitewash version of Hackney portrayed in a marketing video for a property development where no non-white faces are seen, despite being one of the most ethnically diverse boroughs in the country. Is the UK inherently racist? And of course, as you've just heard, it's Ask Boris your chance to put your questions to the London Mayor Boris Johnson. That's all with Nick from Seven after the morning news with uh, Lisa Aziz. Paper reviewer today is Gideon Spanier. His father was David... I only mention it because every time Gideon comes in... The first time he came in, I didn't, I didn't know that he was David Spanier's uh, son. And uh, his father was just the nicest man you'd ever meet. We always used to, I always used to have a nice time with David Spanier. He wrote a book on gambling. He was our diplomatic correspondent on LBC. Gideon is head of media at Campaign, chairman of the Broadcasting Press Guild and a freelance journalist for The Times and The Evening Standard. So uh, every time he comes in, I always go... I always talk about his dad, because I remember his dad very, very well indeed. He died a few years ago. Uh, other stories in the uh, papers today. Great to hear the patriotism in you, Steve. There's no patriotism in it, although I am extremely patriotic. I'm extremely proud of what our forces do for this country, because I come from a forces family, so I'm extremely proud of it. I just think it's taken the... You know, I just think it is... I think it's wrong on so many levels. The idea that Top Gear would go out there and I don't care whether they want to spin a car round in the streets of London. I'm not bothered about that. It's the fact it was within sight of the cenotaph and it was quite close to the cenotaph. And that's what really annoys me more than anything. That is the memorial in this country for thousands and thousands and possibly millions of war dead. That's, that's their spot. And I don't want to see some... Oh, I nearly said another rude word again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel quite quite passionate about it. I don't think it's right. I feel as passionate about that as I do about quite a number of things, including puppy farming and people who traffic dogs. Filthy, vile vermin they are. The people, incidentally, as opposed to the uh, the dogs. And the Auschwitz guard. He's too sick to stand trial. He's 95. He says he knew nothing. He saw nothing. Didn't take part in anything at all. What were you doing, darling? Baking bread? Sitting at the sidelines, were you? What did you think was going on? Things like that that really annoy me as well. You should get annoyed about them too. It's very good to get annoyed, you know that. Somebody said to me a short while ago, oh, you must give yourself, you know, you must give yourself high, high blood pressure. I said, no, no, not at all. I said, it's very good. It gets the blood pumping through your veins. First thing in the morning, my driver this morning, he's a 4am spiker. He's probably heading home now. He lives in Dulwich. Uh, he's been driving uh, cars for a few years. Used to be a police officer. 
And there was a story attached to it, but I won't tell you what it is, because that would be betraying a confidence. But uh, he listens uh, every morning, because that's what people do. You've got to get... If you don't get fired up about something you read about in the newspaper, what is the point of living? What is the point of having an opinion? Must be awful being a BBC presenter. Can't have any opinions at all. Sitting there on BBC Radio Paynton, BBC Radio Port Call. BBC, oh, close the bloody lot down, I tell you. Want to save some money, because things they're shoving it all into Top Gear. Close them all down. Don't make any difference to me. Their, their, their audiences are so pitifully small. I mean, if you see it, when we do our our uh, our radar figures and we show all the, the figures of all the, the stations in London. I mean, the BBC one, I mean, at one point it just disappears. It falls off the end. Nobody's listening. I mean, just nobody's listening. It's too small to even measure. That's how bad... And you're paying for that. You're paying for it. So I think the idea is just close them all down, you know. Turn them into sort of coffee shops or something like that or, you know, bring and buy shops or perhaps a charity shop. That'd be nice, isn't it? The Top Gear charity shop. We can put all the blooming presenters in there. He, here are the questions that need to be answered. And I, I, I will sort of make this the last bit about Top Gear because I've got so many other things I want to do as well as the, uh, the chimes up for the ice cream vans in Worcester. I'll tell you about that in a moment. So here, here are the questions. This is a £100,000 filming episode and you can see the cameras and you can see that they're within full sight of the cenotaph. In fact, it's practically, you know, I mean, the the wheel spins are very as near to the cenotaph as you can get. So the questions are, uh, whose idea was it to film the scenes as close to the cenotaph? Somebody's got to take responsibility for this. So either they're going to push it onto some minion. Or somebody's head's going to roll over this. Who takes responsibility for signing off the stunt? In other words, you will sit down. You cannot, even even here, you know, if the Nick Ferrari programme decides to do a, a segment about so-and-so, they will have a meeting about it. Then it will have to go to, uh, they'll all sit down and go, right, so we want to do this, this, and Nick will say, I'd like that, and whatever. And then it goes to somebody else, and they'll go, OK, we'll, we'll arrange cars for doing this and that. Somebody somewhere signs it off, and on the BBC for a £100,000 stunt... And you've got to get all the paperwork in order. You've got to write to the City of London, I'm assuming, or, uh, or to the metropolitan boroughs. Uh, who is the new executive in charge of Top Gear and did they know? In other words, I was told the executive producer was Chris Evans. Is he? What was said to council to approve filming and was it kept to? In other words, did they say we're going to be filming near the cenotaph doing wheelies? Or has somebody lied? And finally, after military groups' objections, do you plan to show full segment? You know, I mean, it is absolutely... I mean, you can see the tyre marks next to the monument to the women of World War Two. The tyre marks, they're clearly visible. That's all got to be cleaned off. And you thought that was funny, did you? Somebody in the Top Gear office thinks that's funny, apparently. They think that makes a good bit of television. I said the other day, they're getting all the wrong publicity and for all the wrong reasons. And this is for the wrong reason. This is definitely for the wrong reason. It's not, uh, it's not right at all. Uh, 84850, oh, Steve at LBC. Uh, somebody says, well, somebody's just pointed out what I've done. Richard says, I agree in part with what you're saying about Top Gear. Well, you think it's OK to do it near a war memorial for the dead, do you? Blimey. He said, this would have been organised months in advance. We've, I've already told you four months in advance with the approval of Westminster Council. Surely they must shoulder some of the blame. We don't know what they asked to do yet. What we've got to do is find out. They might have had approval to film from Westminster Council, which is what you need because they have to close roads off while they're doing things like this, as they do when they're filming anywhere in London. But uh, did they say they were going to do be, be doing wheelies near the War Memorial? Did they say the Cenotaph was going to have the wheelies there? That's what we need to find out. And I promise you, by tomorrow morning, somebody in the newspapers will have found out and found out who signed that off because somebody in Westminster Council has got that bit of paper signed by an executive. This will be the executive from the programme... 
to actually uh, to actually say this this is what we want to do, and uh, we propose to do it on such and such a day. Amazing, isn't it? Do you think if I actually wrote to them, think if I uh, wrote to them and said, oh, I'd, I'd quite like to get the old Bentley out and do some wheelies up the Mall, you know, perhaps, you know, would that be possible? And the answer is, of course it wouldn't be. Oh, why not? Well, because it just wouldn't be. Do you have to pay to do it? Perhaps I could drum up some money from somewhere. They wouldn't let me do that at all. Oh, no, it's all right for the BBC, is it? Oh, right. Yes, the BBC who makes so many cock-ups with my money. It's got to stop, hasn't it? It's absolutely got to stop. Uh, BBC's out of control, says Maggie. As for Crufts, disgusting. Kennel clubs should be held accountable as they don't do checks on the breeders. Well, I've lost track over the, uh, over the years. I've, I've lost track over the years of the amount of breeders who every year have been thrown out of Crufts because, uh, because of cruelty. We had two women one year. Oh, yeah, we really love our animals. They were kicked out. They were abusing dogs. I mean, seriously. And then to have a, an Alsatian this year who looks like he's got a dislocated hip. I mean, what's going on there? The answer is, it's money. To do with money, ladies and gentlemen. It's got absolutely nothing to do with dogs at all. Uh, Steve, the Top Gear stunt was shown on News at 10. There were a few poppy wreaths in place. It must have been the anniversary of somebody's loss. Good old Auntie Beeb, says Malcolm. Yeah, aren't they good? Aren't they really lovely? Really lovely. Yes, I mean, it's got to, it's got to change. It's absolutely got to change. Uh, ta, 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 Katerina says, uh, um, whatever happens, I shall still tune in. She says, I've just voted for you. Hope you win. Stiff competition. Really? I think so. I don't know. This is for the, for the Radio Times voting for you. Just remember, you're not voting for programme. You're not voting for personality. You're voting for voice. Voice. That's what you, that's what you vote for. And apparently I've got a very distinctive voice. Twenty of us have got very distinctive voices. They're all bigger than me, but of course most of them ten- tend to work for the BBC. So of course they'll all vote. They've probably got some thing, thing going round saying, you know, you can qualify for a job on Top Gear if you vote for so-and-so, so-and-so. That's how it'll work, isn't it, really? It's just so corrupt. So corrupt. Uh, the Mirror today. Uh, cop killer was smoking pot from age of six. I sometimes think that maybe I've had a really dull, unadventurous, boring, sedentary life. I might as well have joined a monastery. Smoking pot from the age of six. I didn't even know what a cigarette was at the age of six. A sweet cigarette, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know that there were cigarettes. I didn't know that you could actually stick, you know, leaves in your mouth and set fire to them and then inhale the smoke. We used to do it as kids, don't we? You know when you, in the winter... Used to make a little fire in, in the woods. Did it? No, just me again. And you put some leaves on it. You go, <sighs> 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 or you'd have a little magnifying glass. Remember that? Honestly, it seems so simple, didn't it, years ago? A simple little thing like a... You know, I could be amused for hours with a magnifying glass. You know, which magnified everything and make everything look bigger. And then you could use it in the in the, in the, the, the fields with the sun on. And you could burn a hole in a leaf. And then if you... <sighs> if you blew very gently, it would burst into flames. We were like early cavemen. You know, it was fantastic. You know, you could you could make a little fire and then you put a few leaves on and a few little twigs. You'd have a little fire and then you could toast your marshmallows, if you were that close. And um, and you could do... We used to love toasting marshmallows, things like that. And, and then nowadays, the kids have got to have bikes to do wheelies. And they've got, uh, they've got to have technology. They've got to have all this stuff that we never had. Piece of chalk? I was as happy as Larry. I've got balls that you can bang together and get sparks out of. You never knew that, did you? I bought them in uh, in Hong Kong. I think they're called bang balls. I think so. Producer's looking very interested now. He's never heard of these before. Did you never see them? 
They're really good. You know caps? Do you remember caps years ago that you put in your in your gun and it and you went <laughs> and they were on a little reel, came in a little cardboard box. Well, the same stuff that made the caps was coating these balls. And if you held two of them in your hand and screwed them together, they would crackle. It would crack. And so they called them bang balls. Rip boring, is it? Oh, no. He, he once camped by a billabong under the shade of a coolie bar tree, and uh, he sang as... Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. And uh, so, but I was, you know, I was, at that time, squeezing my balls together quite a lot, and, uh, and it was fantastic. Honestly, the things we were easily pleased with. You know, you go to the seaside now, you've got to take an army of stuff. In my day, a bucket and spade and a little packet of flags of all nations, and you could, and you could make then sandcastles, and then you could dig a hole round them, and you could go down to the sea... And, and you could fill, fill your bucket with water and come back and then pour it into the moat and then, and then go back down. Because by the time you came back, it all evaporated into the sand again. And then you could put a thing in, and marble tracks. You know, a bag of marbles and me. What it is with spherical objects, I've got no idea. But anyway, so a bag of marbles and conkers and stuff. Simple things. So blooming complicated, isn't it now? It's just so complicated. You know, you look at the bewildering array of kids' toys out there and you think, oh, Lord, save me from all of this. Now it's just so expensive. Anyway, LBC News time. Time check for you. 4.30, the latest headlines. It's Charles Rowe. Russian truth. Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. 27 minutes to, uh, to five. So you don't want to look in some of the papers today. There are pictures of dead puppies. Uh, and it's awful, really. Fly-tipped at the roadside. What sort of person would fly-tip dead puppies? I think we know, don't we, really? And so they've got here... I mean, I, I don't even want to go into it. It's grim. It's grim. This is the hard and fast rule, though, if you're thinking of buying a puppy. And I'd only advise you to go to somebody who's authorised, because you should never buy a puppy under eight weeks old. The chances are 99% of them have been trafficked. Insist on seeing it at least once with the mother in the place where it was born. Never buy from someone who offers to deliver or meet up. These people are crooks. Okay, they're crooks. You see them on the television. They're they're filth. Check the vaccine certificate. Chances are you won't get one. Um, Also, ask to see records of disease screening, vaccination and microchipping. Check for a dull coat, runny eyes or nose, tiredness, hunching or crouching. Look for a puppy happy to interact with you and litter mates. Spend time with it. Visit more than once if the breeder refuses. Chances are they're bogus. OK, and when you see pictures of these dead... They're just little puppies. Just little puppies. And they've just uh, been thrown thrown away by the side of the road. Just like just like a piece of rubbish, ladies and gentlemen. It's appalling that people can do it. So, uh, the other day, the limping dog that scooped the top prize... It's not right, is it? It's just not right. And uh, the Con- Kennel Club said it will consider removing the breed from the competition if judges continue to favour animals showing signs of dangerous inbreeding. This is the problem. Some animals, they can barely move. They can't see properly. They end up with the most awful... And when you look at this, uh, this, uh, this dog, you could see it's being adjusted to a, to a sort of... A, it's just not right. It's just not right. Uh, the other person was... I mean, the, the, the vet... Nick Blaney says, I was appalled a dog like that could be put up as a good specimen of the breed. I mean, it's it's not good. Presenter Claire Balding says, um, the dog appeared distinctly unsettled. What are you doing associating yourself with this, Claire? What are you doing? You know about animals. God, you've been brought up around enough of them. You know, and so she says, she remarked on the live broadcast that the dog, known as Tori at home, appeared distinctly unsettled. It shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been there. They should they need to stop this. Stop this immediately. This is this is just cruelty of the worst possible kind. Oh, God, talking of cruelty. So uh, off goes uh, Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, 
and uh, and she goes out with her husband because he wasn't working as per usual and they go off to a little thing that the queen was doing somewhere and who gets to tag along it's boring brother harry yes harry who really doesn't do anything and just turns up and you think why don't you just sort off why don't you go away why don't you go find your own blooming friends to play with quite clearly harry doesn't have any friends quite clearly harry is billy no mates or harry no mates and so, you know, he surely by now could have found somebody. I mean, he's been out with enough little girlies, hasn't he? Could he take one of those? But, of course, none of them would meet the Queen's approval. So, of course, he can't, so he has to tag along with his brother. To be honest with you, it's like a menage a trois. It really is. Everywhere they go, Harry is sure to follow on behind. And so here is another picture of Harry and William and Kate. And it's all very lovely. She looks good. She must be thinking, actually, every time she sees Harry, it's not bad, is he? I think she's thinking that. She goes out, she probably lo- looks at William and goes, no hair, Harry, full head of hair. Mm, interesting. And I've seen the nudie pictures. Mm, he could be a bit of fun. And so Harry sort of tags along because, as I say, he's got nothing to do, really. They, 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 they try and justify, you know, the fact that he's Harry does a lot of charity work. But for charity work in the royal family, read photo opportunity. That's what it comes down to. It's a case of, you know, can he turn up and go, oh, it's, he's so brave to do it. He's so brave. He just take, kicks a football around with a few little children in Africa, and then they take a picture of it. It's very dull. Very, very uninteresting. Uh, comic Alexis Sale in the paper state. Good God, I didn't even know he was still alive. Alexis Sale is still alive. I interviewed him a few years ago. He was a really difficult interview. He's seriously... Why is it that some comics, in inverted commas, aren't funny? And I didn't think he was funny. I thought he was sort of one of those, um, I can't really describe them, sort of anarchic comics. We've had a few of them, haven't we? Ben Elton. Excuse me, I lost the voice. Uh, Ben Elton was seen as an an anarchic comic. He was sort of, you know, for the Labour Party, anti-Tory. Then, of course, he crossed the line and wrote a musical with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Kind of lost his credibility after that, but at least he trousered a load of money, which is good. Uh, Neil says... Uh, he says, I've just tuned in. The first thing I hear is how you used to squeeze your balls. I've still got them. I, I promised to bring in for the producer my bang balls tomorrow. He's very excited. Very excited because he's Australian. They don't, they don't get much fun out there. As I say, his idea of fun would be sort of, you know, a boomerang. I'll ask you. I mean, a boomerang. So something you throw away and it comes back to you. How rivetingly exciting. A bit like my Auntie Enid. Many's the time we would take her down to the seaside, pop her on a lilo, push her out to sea, blow me down. She'd come right back in with the following day's tide. Just when we were thinking we'd lost her forever. We were raiding her bank account left, right and centre. But uh, anyway, morning, says Neil. I'm now wide awake. That's what we like on this programme. I agree with you. Top Gear Cenotaph and the BBC have their own agenda. Apparently Ian Collins had different ideas last night. And uh, so there you go. Actually, I heard somebody this morning. I think they must be talking to Darren. I've never heard somebody who sounded so racist in my entire life. It's amazing what what strange views people harbour, isn't it? It does tend to be in the uh, in the early hours of the morning. Apparently, on the news last night, Westminster Council admitted Steve that they gave permission for the car to drive up and down Whitehall and nothing else. If they'd been told of the wheelies and turnouts, they wouldn't have allowed it. Well, I, yes, I mean I don't understand how they how they can do that. The BBC. Says Dean, take responsibility for nothing they churn out. And whilst they get money handed to them on a plate, nothing will ever change. Westminster Council have responsibility, but nothing will come out of that. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's ridiculous. I mean, I really, I really don't don't think so. Oh, look, lovely picture of old man marrying old woman. It's uh, Jerry Hall and Rupert Murdoch, the former model, 59. 
It's that awful age, isn't it? When it, you know when it says 59 in the paper, and you know really it should say 70, because they go, you know, and of course, he's, uh, he's looking very happy. And uh, I don't think they put his, uh, his age down, but I think he's about 84, something like that. And then they've got all of her children. Uh, but of course, now she's married, at least they won't be called, you know, the rude word. Uh, plus, what else have we got? Oh, the MPs. How much do they drink? Apparently, in two years, £1.2 million pounds worth of booze in two years. That is 50,000 bottles of spirit, 105,000 bottles of wine and champagne, 17,000 bottles of Peroni and 56 bottles of non-alcoholic Becks. 56 bottles. What is the point of drinking non-alcoholic booze? That's for, that's for fairies, isn't it? Uh, you're going out. Um, have you got a non-alcoholic drink? Go away. It's a bar. Go away. This is an Australian bar. Okay, we only drink booze here. Would you have? Would you have an orange squash or something? Do you remember the days when you would go into a pub and you could actually buy an orange squash? Do you know what squash is? You know, like Robinson's barley water and stuff like that. You mix it. No, no, not like Fanta. No, it, it's sort of squash, and then you pour it in about that much. That's about about an inch and a half. Yes, yeah, like a cordial. Then you add water to it. Well, you could buy that in a pub. They don't do that now. They don't do that. They they sort of do. They don't, they don't do squash. What's the point of doing a, a pint of orange squash or lemon squash or blackcurrant squash? No, they, they, they sell you a bottle. They sell you something called strawberry crush, which is just fizzy water, isn't it, really, with a bit of, uh, bit of sort of colouring in it. Mind you, I don't do pubs anymore. I have done them, but only in the summer. I don't do pubs in winter. I'm not a winter kind of pub person. I'm not one of these people who sort of sits there nursing a pint at the bar for ages and ages, debating on whether to sort of pick up my pork scratchings or not. I'm not that sort of person. I could sit there playing with... Well, anyway. So, you know, I know, sorry to mention it again, but it's a toy, isn't it? I've got all sorts of toys from childhood. Lots of toys from childhood. I don't know why. I just think they lasted better. I've got some really interesting little things at home. I'm sure you'd love to hear about. And probably over the course of the programme, you will this morning. I'll probably get a message from my friend Ian who's uh, departing for Pastures New to the States. I'm going to be his link with this country, because when he's listening to this programme, it will be eight o'clock in the evening. And uh, we've sort of, we've tentatively arranged to meet up in in Las Vegas next year. And he's, he's, he's threatened to take me to the cheesecake shop, which like he said that we can sit there whilst we dine and watch the fountains. Which is quite nice, actually. I quite like that idea. I think that's, uh, I think that's really good, actually. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Poor old Peter, delusional Peter, says Top Gear has already sold to over 100 countries. I think not, actually. I think not. It's a shame you're not better informed. Nothing like a thicko at this time of the morning. And so it really isn't, actually. It really isn't. In fact, they just had a, a thing the other day of trying to sell it. That's why they've just revamped the programme. The old series was sold. It wasn't to 100 countries, I'm afraid. I hate people who are ill-informed. It just makes you sound stupid. But there again, I've looked at your email address and looked at, uh, at, uh, at your email, and uh, I've registered it, so don't worry. But uh, no, it's not. And they can't sell it this time round. They're having great trouble selling it. You really must be better informed. Listen to LBC more. Listen to LBC more. He says, uh, he says, I usually avoid Top Gear, but now I shall watch it. Really? Well, you're a bigger fool than you sound, aren't you, really? Uh, Brent says, nice to hear you uh, mention Australia. I like the show even more. It's not in a good light. We're not mentioning Australia in a good light, mate. We, 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 we said yesterday that's where we sent all our convicts. And then now we, we get them back. And uh, they are the children 
of the convicts. And so they sort of come back into the country again. But we actually get, you see, I think you get two, I think there's quite a number of different sorts of Australians. I might be wrong on this one. I think you get the Australians that come over here that go, uh, we don't want to hang around with Sheilas anymore. You know, we want to be our own men. And, uh, and they go into the media and stuff like that. And then you get the ones at home who are into cattle ranching and sheep farming and stuff like that and uh, haven't seen a woman in years. And that's why you have to watch the film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, because that kind of emphasises what it's actually like in the bush. You know, we get, the further out in the bush you go, the more chance there is of bumping into another guy who has never seen a woman in his entire life. Oh, we had a woman once. She ran, she ran a cafe. She didn't last five minutes, mate. She really didn't. It's like if ever you read A Town Like Alice... The mentality of the Australians comes out quite quite well in that. It's very funny because they go there and they stay in a place while they're deciding whether to build a town like Alice Springs. And they go in and for breakfast, it's steak and eggs. So they say to the girl, um, could we just have the eggs without the steak? And the girl goes, well, I don't think so. I'll just go and check. And so she goes to the kitchen, she goes, no, it's steak and eggs. And so they go, yeah, but could you just leave the steak off when I have the eggs? No, that's not possible. It's steak and eggs. That's what it is. And that was the mentality. I love it, really. I like Australians. I wouldn't want to actually have any relations with them or anything like that. I think they are quite funny, aren't they? I think Because it's the accent. You don't know where the accent comes from. Because when they left here, they'd have been sort of talking like that. You know, and then, they get, and then all of a sudden, they kind of have little clipped accents. And it, it's, I don't understand why. Where do, where do accents come from? Do you learn it? You know, I wonder, if you had an Australian child who was born in Australia... And then, and then sort of came over to this country. Would you end up speaking, you know, like an English person, but yet you'd be Australian? Would it be like that? I don't know. I can remember once I, I took a phone call many years ago, of course. I learnt my lesson. Uh, and it was from a bloke from Scotland. And uh, he was, oh, Steve, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it, it sounded a bit like Darren. And, um, and then he sent me in a picture of himself. He was Asian. He was Asian, but with a Scottish accent. And, of course, at the time, you went, how unusual is that? He said, I've lived here all my life. He said, but everybody says exactly the same. He said, whenever I phone a radio station, he said, they think I'm Scottish. He said, I am. He said, but from an Asian family, and we've lived here all my life. So there you go. It goes to prove it, doesn't it? But where where'd you get an accent that kind of talks like that? You know, how does that happen? No, oh, it's a bit South African, that, wasn't it, really? Because it's a thin line between South Africa and, um, and Australia. You're not sure about that, are you? New Zealand and South Africa. Yeah, I quite like the New Zealand accent. Is it, I, d- I don't like New Zealanders, though. They're very dull, aren't they? Very boring. Better looking than the Australians, though. Much better looking. They really are. I know there's some New Zealand people in this building. Much better looking. Anyway, uh, 14 to 5. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. 10 to 5. Nice to have you company. Welcome to Tuesday, the 15th of March. And then there is the story of uh, the owner... Uh, of a house in a place called Scoria in Cornwall. And uh, it's a bit embarrassing, really, because uh, during a hunt for old shafts in a former mining village, they discovered this 300-foot-deep mine shaft, uh, which they reckon was uh, dating back to the 1700s. Now, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm fasc- things like this fascinate me. Absolutely fascinate me. I remember seeing once something, was it in the Antarctic, where when the ice starts melting, you know, you've got a whole continent which is absolutely thick with ice. And at one point, they x-rayed it from an aircraft and they worked out that something like 100 miles down, there is a hidden lake. Well, they're never going to find it. I mean, you can see it, 
on the x-ray, but they're never going to dig down, you know, 100 miles or whatever it happened to be. Anyway, uh, then they have this water. So once the water starts melting, it goes down into these sinkholes. It's this hole and it just, the water pours into it. And I thought, but where does it go to? Wait, does it just go to the sea? I don't... I mean, it's just fascinating, all these sort of things. So when this sinkhole opened up, and uh, as I say, dating back to about the 1700s, it's now swallowed up half the garage and the patio, which have disappeared down. And it shows you the conditions that miners must have been working in. The, the depth of the hole is actually quite significant. There are, there are other houses there, two more nearby are not occupied, but because structural uh, engineers say cracks in the property suggest it may too end up down there in the not too distant future. They've had to abandon the house. And you look at it and you think, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, you could put a lift in and make it a tourist attraction. You could see what miners in the 1700s, they just dug down and down and down and down. Absolutely unbelievable. And the, the headline, that'll need looking into. 300 foot deep. I mean, you could lose the dog, the cat, everybody. They'd never, you'd never get them back out again, would you? Well, I suppose you could have if you lowered somebody in there. It's really, uh, really interesting. I think so. Because it's, they're all over the place. And we have some in, um, in uh, Noreen's uh, area, out St Albans Way. I believe there was another sinkhole that opened up. And again, that's where sometimes the river has been diverted underground. And, um, and then you sort of have... Uh, the erosion under the ground as well. Oh, here we go. Doctors, it's uh, you and your health. Doctors were surprised I survived a heart attack, says Kelly Maloney. Oh, God, how boring. Honestly, honestly. But it's like people trying to latch on to everything, isn't it? I think I'll latch on to the I had a heart attack thing. You know, I had a heart attack. But I, w- I was telling you the story the other day of this bloke who works for this radio station who uh, who starts sobbing during his programme. Not because he's seen a sad film, but because he's been diagnosed as diabetic. And it was apparently the worst thing that ever happened to him in his entire life. And I thought to myself, dear God, I thought the whole idea was that if you're on the radio, if you're given that privileged position of sitting there and people listen to you, people, I mean, I I always find it absolutely amazing. But because I can't see you, I have to aim it all, sadly, at the producer. And this is where it all falls apart, because he doesn't understand a word I'm saying. Because I do British humour, he doesn't know what that is. He thinks I'm Frankie Howard. You know, it's got that... But say Frank, he doesn't even know Frankie how it is, does he? Who, what, 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 what would be your favourite British comedian then, Mike? Who, who would be your favourite British comedian? Would that be... Who? OK, I'm not going to lie. Stephen K. Amos. Stephen K. Amos. About as funny as creosote. Really unfunny. There's a story that goes with Stephen K. Amos, isn't there? <laughs> Do you know it? Do you know the story? Oh, right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you during a break, actually. Yes, there's a story. He sort of disappeared for a while from our, our screens, and nobody could quite understand why until then people... He went to Australia. Oh, did he go to Australia? They all go there. Yes, he went there for ages, didn't he? Do you know why he went to Australia for ages? I'm going to tell you the break, yeah. I'm going to tell you the break. I like a good story. I like a good story. Uh, Steve, Top Gear is shown in Japan. It's subtitled into Japanese. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it's quite popular. I like the idea of being quite popular, <laughs> as opposed to very popular. Quite popular over there. Yeah, that's the old one. That's the old one. Uh, the new one, I don't think so. Apparently, says Brent, South African and New Zealand accents do at times sound the same. He's <laughs> they do, don't they? I mean, I think it's a very thin line between South Africa uh, and New Zealand. I think New Zealand is a slight... Is it softer than the Australian accent? I can't remember. I'm sure if you, if you put them all in a room and listen to everybody, I'm, I'm sure I could pick people out. I think South African accents are quite sexy. 
I don't think the British accent's sexy at all. Do you? Oh, there's nothing sexy about it. People say, oh, certain people's accents... I mean, I think Joanna Lumley's got a very sexy voice. Very, very sexy voice. And uh, I've got an interesting voice, but I don't think it would ever be described as sexy. I don't think people ever go, that Steve Allen's got a sexy voice. Because I don't know, because I just speak into a microphone. I've got no idea what it sounds like when it comes out, you know, on the car radio or, or on DAB or anything else. I, n- I never think about things like that. You can't, can you? Otherwise, you become incredibly big-headed. Did I mention I've got a book out? I can't remember if I ever mentioned to you the fact I do have a book called So You Want to Be a Celebrity. And the good news is there's going to be an audio version very soon. Uh, 84850. Steve, I don't start work till 9.30, but I wake up at 4 to listen to your programme. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, Steve, Prince Harry is really fit. Well, he'd have to be. He doesn't do any work, does he? So he might as well be uh, fit. This Top Gear stunt. How many bus routes run along Whitehall, says Paul? Maybe somebody from Transport for London should explain about travel delays. I don't know, I mean, how they were allowed to do it. You know, I can understand on a Sunday. It might have been done on a Sunday. I don't know what day they did it on, actually. Uh, One of the questions on a game show yesterday afternoon, uh, I think on the chase, was what is Cheryl Fernandez, Bassini's singing voice type? Soprano, alto or contralto? He says, how can they even ask that question when she can't sing? Well, I mean, I would have thought you'd just ask auto-tune, wouldn't you? What have you tuned her into? Car screeching? You know, that kind of thing. I don't know, actually. I don't know what she would be. Soprano, contralto or alto? I don't know. I like singing. I'm, I, I, I could happily be in a choir. Seriously, I, I, could, I could really, really uh, be in a choir. I love community singing and I love community dancing. I can't dance for toffee. I've got a bit of rhythm below the waist. That's between me and my chair. And uh, the rest, I'd love to be able to dance. When you watch Michael Flatley doing Feet of Flames and Lord of the Dance, you think, I'd love to be able to do that. It's fantastic. Uh, Anne says, I was very irate with Ian Collins. Well, that's good, you see. I think that's quite good. I think it would be absolutely dreadful, wouldn't it, to have all presenters saying exactly the same thing. How dull would that be? How boring. I'm totally convinced that James O'Brien will say the opposite. If you say black, he'll say white. If you say white, he'll say black. Because it, otherwise it's a bit tedious. I mean, I, it's, it's painful for me to have everybody agreeing with me all the time. You know, but I realise that I'm actually speaking common sense, but I understand how people, are, how people are sort of doing it to go, oh, it doesn't really matter about the cenotaph, you know, the people are dead anyway, they're not going to worry about it. It's modern times. Whereas I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I've got... It's called respect. It's called respect for people who made the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice is, you know, they went over the top and they got mown down. Millions. Millions of young people got killed. Men, women, deserters were shot. It was, you know, people had shell shock. It was, it was just, you know, put yourself in that situation. If you feel like taking this group of people from Top Gear and saying, let's put you in a war situation. Off you go. Go on. Now try filming in Afghanistan. Oh, dear, it does annoy me. Uh, Wendy in Farnborough says, those old games from years ago, hopscotch and skipping. Yeah, I tried the skipping thing. I, I look better. What? Raised your eyebrows. Honestly, I skip. I've skipped before. I look better skipping than running. When I run, I look a bit silly. So I've decided if the bus comes along, it can go. I'm not going to be chasing any bus anytime soon. But you can skip. Skipping's good fun, don't you think so? I think, have you ever skipped? No, of course not. Far too butch, aren't we? Oh, I, I Steve, we're Australian. We don't skip unless it's skip to the loo, my darling. You know, we don't do any of that kind of thing. <laughs> 
I can't even imagine, actually. I can't imagine the, the, the country that brought you puppetry of the penis. I can never ever think to myself. I can't look people in the eye anymore. I seriously can't. Especially when I interviewed the guys when they were doing the show at the Whitehall Theatre. And uh, they were big butch Australians. And apparently this puppetry of the penis show, uh, you can go online and check it out. It's been touring for God knows how long. And I said, people really do this in Australia. And he said, oh, yes, Steve. Oh, yeah, he said, all the bars, we do it. Well, I, I can't look at the producer in the eye. I really can't. I'm too embarrassed to think he might have actually done a helicopter or, at worse, a hamburger. You know, <laughs> you worry about this kind of thing. It's people who make funny shapes. I said, if you did that in a bar in this country, you'd be arrested. Or find yourself on an Esther Ranson programme or something like that. It's hilarious, isn't it, really? Uh, still to come, Russia's going to pull out of Syria. The coffee shop recycling claims, right load of old froth, right load of old froth, and... Um, and the other thing is Tesco and the petrol. You know, we were told that petrol's coming down in price. Well, apparently they've now started pushing it back up again. I put petrol in the other day. What did I pay? £1.11, I think, or something like that. I mean, I have to go top grade. I can't put cheaper petrol in there, much as I'd like to. And I do like an ice cream van. I used to like Mr Whippy. I used to think it was something completely different when I first heard of him, but apparently he used to come around and he'd have this little chime that went in the thing, call him Mr Whippy, and then he'd do that squirty ice cream that came out of the machine. And I used to think, if ever I got really rich, I want one of those squirty ice cream machines. I want to be able to sort of go, pull the handle down. I'd love to get a job in an ice cream van. Mind you, I wanted to drive buses. Do you remember at one time? And I got offered by loads of different companies. Would you like to come and drive one of our buses, Steve? Which I thought was quite good. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We will talk about crafts. We will talk about... Uh, itching to find a cure. You know when you get an itch, you go, oh, God. Sometimes it's a nice itch. I tell you the nicest itch, but it's the worst one to have. And that's when you get dead skin between your toes. And it starts itching. <laughs> that's, the, that's the worst one to get, actually. Uh, shortage of onions pushes the price up. And Simon Danjuk, guilty of fiddling expenses, fined 11 grand. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday, 15th of March. Nice to have your company. Everybody's going in to look at the peanuts in there. They're all so disappointed when they discover that they are real peanuts as opposed to sweet peanuts. Sorry, there's a room that's directly opposite me. <laughs> but I, I, I can't tell you about it, but it was very funny yesterday. We, we managed to get sort of loads of mileage out of that one. Uh, Tesco pushing their petrol prices up this morning. The RBS replacing 220 workers with robots. The boy of 10, he's 16 stone at 10 years old. I mean, that is seriously bad eating. Simon Danjuk, guilty of fiddling expenses, has been fined £11,000. The coffee shop recycling claims, right load of old hooey, I'm afraid. And uh, the stroke man, who's been told, can you talk properly? He felt like saying, he's had a stroke. Of course he can't. Chimes are up for the ice cream vans in Worcester, I think it is, in Worcester, where they've decided that they want the ice cream vans to move every 15 minutes to stop uh, congestion. And you think to yourself, actually, that, 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 that's quite a good idea, actually. Quite a good idea. And uh, all the police officers finishing their last night duty tonight after working for seven days. They've got three days off. Come on, I could do with a job like that one, Fred. So you work seven days and you get three days off. Blimey. Bit of a result, isn't it, I think? Bit of a result. And um, <laughs> uh, Steve, apparently James has been offered an audio book, too. Good job. He hasn't mentioned it more than a dozen or so times. I know. I know which one's selling the most. I mean, I don't want to brag about it, but put it this way. 
It's the celebrity version, I think, which is going. Uh, William says, Julie is walking a challenging and unenviable path. It'd be subject to a lot of negativity from people who need support and good advice. So, yes, his only brother by his side in life and seen to be. People need to know you mess with one, you mess with both, says Julie. My God, you're an Ilford, love. I mean, you're an Ilford. No, I mean, I think he's a, he's a bad penny. Harry. Harry Harry's, the, uh, Harry's the drunk loose cannon, isn't he? I had a drink. And uh, remember when he lashed out at the photographers? Oh, yeah. The trouble is they start believing the publicity. They start believing it. But once the, uh, once the, um, the, uh, the table turns with the press, that's when things go completely different. Richard says, uh, you're talking about uh, accents. What do you think about the Southern Irish accent? Is that very sexy? Oh, the producer loves that. The su- what, what, what's the difference between the Southern Irish accent? And, is, is the Northern Irish accent... Hiya! Is that a bit... Hu- is that, that's a bit harder, isn't it? So Southern is a bit softer. I like anything Irish. Seriously, I couldn't care less. I love everybody. It's a bit sickening, really, isn't it? You know, who does Steve Allen love? Everybody. Who does he hate? Everybody. It's amazing, really, isn't it? You know, there's no middle ground with me. I either love them or hate them. And luckily, I can actually do both because I'm a radio presenter. Well, that's what it says on the passport. Well, actually, no, it doesn't say that on the passport. It used to say on the passport. Do you remember what you used to do for a living? I don't know why it made a difference. Mine used to say salesman. Salesman. Glasgow and Edinburgh accents sound the same. Oh, they're so not. Oh, they're so not. Glasgow is... You need subtitles with Glasgow. Uh, Edinburgh's uh, much softer accent. Oh, sorry. That, I don't know what accent that was. That was rubbish, that was. <laughs> uh, Annie says, don't tease me with those magic words, James Martin. He's on tour, as you know, and he combines cars and cooking and, and personality. He's lovely. He's so lovely. If you want to hear how lovely he is... Go to the LB. I'm going to take my shoes off. I don't care this morning. No holding me back, I tell you. I might do this programme in shorts in the summer. (laughs) That'll freak everybody out in the building. I've got the worst legs in Christendom. Seriously, I mean, I just don't have... I don't have butch enough legs to actually get them out. I wouldn't even walk down Twickenham High Street with shorts on. There'd be nothing that would tempt me to get my legs out. Even I look at them and go, oh, dear, honestly. I think something over the last few years has gone horribly wrong. Uh, yeah, so you can go and uh, check out James Martin. And uh, and uh, you'll love the interview. It's a fabulous interview. It's really good. Somebody says, I've just heard on LBC that London is the most congested city in the world. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest, actually. And uh, it's, uh, it is busy, isn't it? It is busy. But mainly, it's, um, it's tourists. It's tourists here. And, uh, and the tourists sort of fill it up and they bring in money and it's all great and it's all wonderful. Uh, have you been following the cruise on ITV1? Gives a good insight into a cruise line. No, the only one I liked is, I think it was, what was the one that Jane MacDonald was on? Was that called The Cruise? That was great. I wish they'd repeat that or bring it out on DVD or something like that. It was abs- I thought it was brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And... Um, Another one here, uh, Brent says, you sound full of life and happy. Listen, I've always said to anybody, how can you not be? How can you not be? I'm sitting here at this time of the morning. I've got some nice satsumas, got a nice cup of coffee. Got a producer. I've uh, got, you know, and, and they pay me money. What is there not to like about it? What is there not to like about it? I'm going to finish here this morning. I'll be home by about quarter to eight. I can have a little lie down, if I so choose. Uh, I paid my tax in January. I'm going out for coffee with my friend Lynn. And uh, we'll have a catch-up. And, uh, and life is wonderful. What, what could be better? What could be better? I mean, winning the lottery would kind of make it a little bit better. That's what I said to my driver this morning. I quite like that. Uh, Steve, uh, in the Costa, is Brian. He says, I'm 72 now. 
When I was a kid, my mum and dad used to take us to Cornwall for holidays. Depending on which kids I played with over the fortnight, I'd end up with a different accent. Some years Geordie, some years West Country. One year I spoke like a Scot. When we got back to Brum, I used to drive my mum and dad to distraction. Till it uh, wore off. I used to love going away on holidays. When you're kids... You don't suffer the prejudices, do you, that adults suffer? So, in other words, it didn't make any difference to us, you know, who we were playing with on the caravan sites that we stayed on, because you didn't, you didn't sort of check out with, with the parents, you know, what's, what sort of job do they do? Do they do a similar job to my parents? Are we allowed to mix? No, we didn't do anything like that at all. You just played with kids. And kids have this ability to kind of bond, and it was great. And then you sort of, you'd play games, and you'd form into a gang or something. And then, at the end of the day, you'd go back to the caravan, and your, your mum would sort of make your tomato soup or something. like. Oh, it was lovely. God, happy days when you, we were kids. It goes by so quickly. Uh, Steve, uh, says Teresa, uh, New Zealand, it's mainly in the way they say it. Australians think, think, and New Zealanders think. Is that how it is? I don't, it doesn't really work like that. I, I, well, I, well, I don't understand how it works. I can, I can do think, think. <laughs> Can't do the other one. <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, Steve, if Chris Evans and the team that abused the cenotaph would it be filmed on their hands and knees scrubbing the tie marks from the road? Bless me. Here we go. <laughs> Sorry. And, <laughs> and again, every... Do you know, is this the same time every morning? Somebody's injecting something into the system here, aren't they, really? But uh, I could almost forgive their stupidity if they, uh, if they went out there and, uh, and took the, uh, the marks off the road. It's just the fact they did it by... Listen, I couldn't care less where they do it. Do it on the embankment. Wouldn't make any difference to me. Don't do it by the cenotaph. Don't do it. You're going to upset an entire country. And, uh, as a, but as I say, the BBC is so firmly stuck in the dark ages. Let's face it, they allow all sorts of things to operate and then claim they know nothing about it. You know, oh, we didn't know anything about that. Jimmy Savile was... A, no, not a clue. Not a clue. Like the Auschwitz guard, you know. Uh, I know nothing. Well, you must have known what was going on at Auschwitz. Nope, didn't see anything. Didn't hear anything. What? 95, mate. Obviously passed your sell-by. You were an Auschwitz guard. Yes, I was at Auschwitz. But I didn't see anything and I didn't know anything. Right, OK. These people think we're stupid. There's a woman in the paper today. You're not going to like her. You're going to hate her. She's on benefit. She's got, uh, I think, eight children. Obviously, with, uh, with lots of different people. The father's nowhere to be seen, as usual. People who just get these sort of women pregnant. And uh, she says, I'm far too busy to, uh, to actually get a job. So she's, uh, she's on £26,000 benefits. One, two, three, four, five, six. She's got eight children. And uh, she has £4,000 rent arrears. She has no intention of paying anything at all. No intention. You, you pick up the bill. You pick up the bill. Uh, people say I'm lazy and take, 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 but I'm a mum of eight. Well, I shouldn't have got yourself pregnant in the first place, dear, shouldn't you? You know, I hate these people who just get themselves pregnant and then expect us to pick up the bill. Where's the fathers? Where's the fathers? Apparently she used to be a pole dancer. Obviously not a very successful one. And, um, and uh, Barry Tomes. Oh, it's this Barry Tomes git again, isn't it? This is this agent who picks up on all these deadbeats. He says she's a grafter. Oh, God, go away. Go away, dear. Not Her agent. She's doing it. She's got an agent. What sort of person would be interested in this sort of person? Oh, dear. Sorry. That's the moment you see that name. Switch off. Switch off immediately. Switch off immediately. An agent for somebody who doesn't work and they've got children, you know, and uh, as opposed to maybe contraception. They just go, oh, I think I'll get an agent, make myself famous. Famous for what, darling? Famous for getting yourself pregnant. Famous for being bone idle. Lazy. Lazy. Couldn't care. Don't listen to agents. Oh, dear. Ridiculous. How many coffees do we drink in the UK every day? 70 million coffees. 
70 million coffees. It's the most popular drink in the world after water. I like water. I'm very big into my water. But apparently coffee chains were last night accused of contributing to Britain's landfill problem with plastic-coated paper cups that are not being recycled. Um, Well, they don't do they because they've got a polyethylene coating which stops leaks and it has to be separated before they can recycle. So they don't. They actually claim that they do, but they're lying. They're lying. They, They don't. Hardly any cups are recycled at all. Somebody yesterday took me to task because I drink bottled water. Some complete idiot going, are you aware of how many bottles get thrown away every year? Oh, I couldn't care less. Doesn't make any difference to me. I'm not going to worry about stuff like that. Excuse me. Oh, delicious. And uh, I was complaining bitterly about why don't you drink drink water out the tap? Why don't you go mind your own business? Bury your head in the sand like the the ostrich you sound. Uh, Michael Burke is a, a veteran reporter. Uh, he's got a, a grasp of world affairs, probably better than most people, I would have thought, but uh, not necessarily being a reporter makes you an intelligent person. But he's sick of lectures by infantile PC lovies like Emma Thompson and her daughter Gala on a protest over climate change. He hates it. It's just people jumping on the bandwagon, isn't it? Because once these people become famous, like Charlotte Church, when they stuck her on Question Time, she died on her proverbial, and there was certainly enough of it to die on, let's face it. And uh, she was there spouting off about all sorts of things. She doesn't know anything, actually. Not a clue, really. Very, very embarrassing. And so he's, he's basically pulled these people apart. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, his wife Sophie Hunter. And they go out there and they think they're making a difference. It was like that idiot Russell Brand. You know, the champagne socialist. Yeah, we should all do this and, uh, you know, and, and do that. And, uh, and he's living in a two million pound house. Yes. Poor police officers, Steve. After seven nights and now off for three. So now they go home to bed and have to get up after a few hours so they can sleep tonight. Then they have a full day off tomorrow. Then on the third day, they have to go to bed early. As most have six or seven a.m. on their first day back. Not really three days off. Yeah. Well, well, I, well I don't get anything like that at all, do I? Wish I was a police officer. The money you can make on that overtime thing, it's brilliant. Uh, Steve, more congested, says John the cabbie, thanks to 100,000 minicabs roaming around. Do you know we must be the only city in this country who um, who still have illegal minicabs touting by the side of the street? I see it on a, on a daily basis, and I should imagine everybody else sees it too. I see it all the time. Have they managed to close it down? No. No, they, they've man- never managed to stop... People touting. Never, ever, ever. Sandra says, talking of Aussie and New Zealand accents, I used to be told I sounded a bit Antipodean. Can you tell from this text? I can, actually, Sandra. I can tell you exactly why you sound a little bit Antipodean. I love that word, Antipodean. It sounds quite good, doesn't it, really? Time check. I'll do it in my best English accent, ladies and gentlemen. It's quarter past five. He backed Brexit. This morning, from nine, with me, Nick Ferrari, only on LBC. There you go. He's uh, with him this morning. Your chance to put your questions to the London Mayor Boris Johnson. Uh, Also with Nick today, he's going to be talking about Vladimir Putin, who's ordered the withdrawal of Russian forces from Syria, saying the military campaign has largely achieved its goals. Has it? And should we really trust the most dangerous man in the world? Londoners condemn a whitewashed vision of Hackney, portrayed in a marketing video for a property development where no non-white faces are seen, despite being one of the most ethnically diverse boroughs in the country. Is the UK inherently racist? All of that with Nick Ferrari at seven, after the morning news with Lisa Aziz, Gideon Spanier, head of media at the advertising magazine Campaign, chairman of the Broadcasting Press Guild and freelance journalist for the Times Evening Standard, looking at the papers for today. If you want to lose weight, and don't you ever want to lose weight, you do, don't you, really? I know. Apparently it's all in 
the mind. If only. If only. Scientists say that mindfulness, a technique that involves blocking out distractions, focusing on the present and listening to your body, can help you recognise our own genuine hunger signals. So, I don't know. Is it all in the mind losing weight? Fat people everywhere will be listening to this programme going, I don't think it's all in the mind, Steve. I think it's all in the stomach. I mean, who can resist a Greg's sausage roll? Hot from the oven. Four for the price of three. 90 pence each. You know, we are, we, we're going to have a couple more bakers. We've got a couple of, uh, of uh, bakers in Twickenham. We're going to end up with, I think, one, two... We're going to end up with four bakers in Twickenham, uh, which I'm quite looking forward to because you cannot beat... A puff pastry sausage roll in the morning. But it's got to be... And I'll tell you the ones I liked. And it was the best one. They used to do it at Pret-a-Manger. They don't do it anymore. I don't know why. They, all the things that I liked, they stopped doing. And it was um, a croissant, flattened croissant, with a hot dog sausage in the middle, drizzled with cheese. It was delicious. I can't tell you, ladies and gentlemen, how satisfying my life was with one of these things. When you go and buy a sausage roll now, be it from Greg's or from one of those ghastly places at any of the stations, it's filled with a concoction of what? I've got no idea. I've really got no idea. I mean, one of the ones that I bought from a station the other day, I thought it was sawdust. I nearly took it to go and get it analysed to find out exactly what's in it and what the meat content is and then went back and exposed them because this stuff is rubbish. Seriously rubbish, but people buy any old garbage, don't they, on the stations nowadays. And, uh, and that's what it is. So I want somebody to put actually a proper sausage inside some puff pastry and then cook it. And then sell, you know, a proper sausage, not sausage meat. I don't like that. Does anybody ever do a proper sausage? Because most sausages are fairly sort of short and stubby, aren't they? They're not long and thin. Whereas I like long and thin. I've always been a fan of that. And it's, you know, if you get a hot dog sausage, that would just about fit in, in a thing the right size. But, the, you know, who am I? Listen, I don't know anything like that, do I really? Uh, long been a favourite uh, family pastime. And I told you about this yesterday. And luckily, we're, we're gradually getting there. Do not feed, do not feed bread to ducks. It's killing them. These people are animal haters. They're murderers of animals. You know, other things. Conservationists say the bread pollutes waterways. Not very healthy. Instead, the diet is this. If you're thinking of feeding ducks. Frozen peas, sweet corn and grapes. As long as they're cut into quarters. So there has been a 20% fall in people feeding ducks bread because it's bad. If I see anybody down at Twickenham feeding them, I shall be berating them. Don't feed them bread. It's killing them. But these people, as I say, they're, they're too stupid to realise. They don't know, do they? Same people who probably actually go out there and, and feed pigeons and stuff like that. Oh, another picture of uh, Harry and uh, Dreary William. Uh, as I say, none of them working. At least they managed to get a day off. That was lucky, wasn't it, from... What do they do? And, um, and then they've got sort of, you know, people pick on Kate's fashion and stuff like that. But everywhere the happy couple go... Along comes dreary brother. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Why doesn't he just go and find a girlfriend for himself and sort of go and do it? And the truth of the matter is he can't because all the people he fancies are sort of... They're not classy because I don't think Harry's got any class. I really don't. I think he's very personable. He's very, he's very friendly to people. It's just that he hasn't got the class, has he, that is required. He doesn't have what his grandmother has, which is breeding. Uh, the chef who makes Britain's housewives have very saucy thoughts, Jan Moyer... Uh, joins 3,000 overheated fans watching him. We interviewed James just before he went out on the tour, and I was saying to him, you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. So it's great fun. When you walk on stage, people people just love it. They love it. People get very happy about stuff like that. So I hope he's enjoying his tour at the moment, but you must read the article. There's also a piece on uh, why Prince Andrew 
uh, is is always forgiven by the Queen. Her Majesty always forgives Prince Andrew. I've got no idea why. The man's a first-class buffoon, isn't he? he? He doesn't know he got caught up with Vicky Hodge on an island some years ago. Nude pictures circulated on the internet of Prince Andrew start naked under a fountain. And then he took up with uh, a few other girls of dubious uh, means. And uh, then he's got some very dodgy friends, including convicted paedophiles. And people like that. It's he just refuses to take any advice from anybody. He thinks he knows better. I seem to remember when he was doing his helicoptering, he insisted on being called Sir all the time. Which I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, why I didn't vote for you, matey. I'll call you just Andy. And he was nicknamed by the press, wasn't he? Randy Andy, because of all the girls that he appeared to have been out with. A bit like, sort of, you know, I suppose he must have a lot in common with Prince Harry. Prince Harry's kind of sort of doing the rounds, isn't he? I'm surprised he's not infiltrated Made in Chelsea. That'd be his sort of market, wouldn't it? Posh totty, but willing to climb into bed. Because that's what most of it... That's all the programme is. I watched it the other day. I was horrified. Horrified. I even horrified myself. When I sort of discovered that, you know, they might be all terribly, terribly, you know, OK, yeah, and like, you know, we're going to go and buy a scarf today and it's like £300 and it's like, you know, I look gorgeous in it. And uh, and then Spencer the Creep Matthews hoves into view and they all sit there going, bed me, bed me, bed me. And you think to yourself, it's a ghastly programme. It's Posh Totty who just, that's all the programme consists of, climbing into bed with different people, going out with different people. It's like sort of the upmarket version of Towie which is a lot of low, really low-budget people. Oh, dear, so low-budget. They really are. I mean, honestly, if Chloe Sims is still dragging her weary carcass around everywhere, there's hope for just about anybody. But as I say, they do not represent the people of Essex, who are so much nicer. So much nicer. I'm beginning to suspect, Steve, that half these gaffes that require immediate public apologies are not gaffes at all, but deliberate insults designed to attract maximum publicity. Yes, I mean, um, I would think so, actually. I would think so. That it's. I mean, sometimes it is the case that people do things to get publicity, you know, and I'm not really that interested. The papers do fillers occasionally. Uh, this thing is an insult to the war dead. I don't think it's a publicity stunt. If it is, it's gone horribly wrong for them. Uh, Steve says, Ian, after water, tea is the most popular drink in the world. That statistic of coffee is factually incorrect. No, no, it's coffee. It used to be tea. Used to be tea, but now, now it's coffee. It's taken over. That's why you don't have... You don't have tea shops. We have coffee shops. They do sell tea, but it's coffee that is the main thing. Ron is off to the Cheltenham races. He says, it's only you that's putting a smile on my face. I'm not looking forward to driving a bunch of drunks up there when I pick them up at 6am. Oh, God. Lucky, unlucky you. Unlucky you. And, um, Steve, I bet if Matt LaPlanck tried his motoring skills at a revered American memorial to the fallen, the Yanks would nick him. Yes, you can imagine doing it. Tell you what, would you like to, um, would you like to do, you know, your wheelies around the Arlington Cemetery? You know, how about that one, Matt? No. But you think it's all right to do it around our celebration of war dead, do you? Dear God, they've got a lot to, uh, to, uh, to deal with. Uh, Bex says, uh, the Cavern Bakery in Hampton Hill do the best sausage rolls. They're not bad. I've been to the one in Teddington. It's OK. They're not cheap. They're, they're quite nice. They're a bit stodgy. little bit stodgy. And they need to be a lot hotter. need to be a lot hotter. I think they're moving into Twickenham, so I shall be uh, pushing for my sort of sausage roll, as you can imagine I would. Uh, Paul's Patisserie opposite Harrods. Uh, real sausage with melted cheese. Oh, that sounds quite nice. I can I can go for that this morning. I quite I, I quite fancy something. I do fancy first thing in the morning, and I tell you what, I've not had for ages, and I'm feeling a bit better because it makes me feel a bit yucky if I have it. Bread, bread makes me feel really lethargic. I can get quite ugh on bread. So what I've decided I need to do is I need to get better quality bread because the better quality bread, 
the less chance there is of you becoming ill. Because the cheap stuff you're buying in a supermarket is actually cheap rubbish. That's why they can afford to sell it at sort of, you know, 60p a loaf or 70p a loaf. I do like a crumpet, though. I do like a crumpet. Crumpets dripping with sort of butter all the way through. <laughs> See, can make myself ill again this morning. There's no point in thinking about it, Stephen. You can't have it. But uh, at least I can dream. It looks like I can wander through a bakery and go, oh, I'd like that, or I'd like that, or I, I, I wouldn't mind that. And then I, all I think is now, no, it's going to make me sick, isn't it? There's no point. Apparently, if you go to North Yorkshire, you get a pork and apple sausage roll from Thomas the Baker's, says Jack. A pork and apple sausage. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. But it's the ones that you buy on the stations. From all these sort of places, you look at the sausage roll, it's like, why nobody's ever analysed it? I thought that's a good story for a newspaper. Why don't you go down there, buy some of these uh, things, like, you know, traditional Cornish pasty, and all this kind of stuff. Get it analysed, you'd be horrified what's in it. I think they should do that, actually. I think that'd be a really good thing to do. Any journalist listening at the moment thinking, I wonder what sort of story to do. Just go down there and get somebody to analyse what's in their sausage rolls. And also the bacon rolls. Have you ever seen it? They can't cook bacon, these people. Seriously, it's, it's burnt to a crisp. They've got no idea. Bacon is supposed to be soft and floppy, you know, and dripping. And, it, you know, and it, theirs ends up being hard. I mean, you could take teeth out with it. Seriously, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. Uh, what else have we got uh, in, the, uh, in the papers today? Itching to find a cure. You know when you get a real itch, you're like, oh, God, that's a good itch, or a bad itch. You know, there, is, there are certain itches you don't mind having and other itches you think, I don't want that one again, thank you very much. Don't want any chafing. Chafing's terrible and itching is, is, is ghastly as well. And sometimes you do get an itch and it used to come with athlete's foot. You know, you could literally, you scratch between your toes. You're like, oh, God. It was almost, it was almost bliss. But at the same time, you know, you thought to yourself, I need to go and get some stuff to sort this out as quick as possible. LBC News Time. It's 5.30 with the latest headlines for you this morning. Lisa Aziz. Much of... Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Really embarrassing, actually. One of the uh, stories that we've got coming up a little bit later on in our free podcast for today is uh, poor old James No Talent Argent. Yeah, the fat boy, fat bloke, was out supported by his loving girlfriend, Lydia Dim, during an outdoor workout. And uh, it's a bit embarrassing. He's way too fat and uh, she's way too stupid. So she's riding a bike, wearing another one of her crazy outfits. The worst thing is that she sort of puts her hand at the back and exposes... Somewhere where you could park your bike. I mean, it's a really bit embarrassing. There's no talent there involved. He can't sing. He can't actually do anything. But uh, he's got his own problems, I suppose. Whether or not he makes it, you know, into adulthood, God alone knows. Let's hope not, shall we? Uh, another one says, why don't you get a bread maker? No, no. I, I, it's so boring. Why do I want to spend two or three hundred pounds on a bread maker when I can go and buy it in the bakery for about three pound fifty? I don't. I don't eat that much bread. I'm. Re- I'm really not a great. Not. Not a great bread eater. I mean, I might today. I might have a, a crumpet with some butter on and a little bit of marmite or something like that. I feel. I feel it's quite good actually. Although actually, Kim reckons sausage cheese roll with balsamic onions. Actually, I've got a story about onions in the papers. There's apparently a, a shortage of onions. Rubbish. Why do they put up with these stories? Why do they put them up there? It's not, uh, it's not there's no shortage of onions. I've been around loads of greengrocers and, the, and everywhere else, and it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. Absolutely fine. There's no shortage of onions. I wouldn't mind, but you don't exactly buy, you don't go out there and buy a ton of onions, do you? You go out and then buy one onion. Uh, another one here. Years ago, I lived in Southern Ireland, says Mark. You could buy a, uh, a brand of tinned ham called Three Ks. I've never heard of it, Three Ks. Actually, I've got some Irish tea bags in my cupboard. Called Barry's, I think, or something like that. Is that. They're well known, aren't they? I think it's well known. Yeah, I thought so. 
But uh, apparently you can buy all sorts of things in tin. Some of it doesn't even bear thinking about, does it, really? And uh, another one here. Uh, on YouTube, I like trying to get people to say fish and chips. Fish and chips. Uh, fish and chips. Yeah, doesn't sound. The New Zealand. Fush and chups. Oh, right. Do you have fish and chip shops in, in, uh, in Oz? Do you? Would, would, would that be considered a fast food over there? Yeah, do you have, do you have kebabs? So, oh, right, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, whether, whether or not, because you've only just got electricity and deep pile carpets, so I was wondering whether or not some of our takeaway shops had actually managed to make it over there. You've got Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, right, OK. McDonald's? Burger King? OK. They call it a different name, Burger You call it Hungry Jack's. Oh, right. Oh, where are you off to today, Mary? Uh, we're going to Hungry Jack's. And that, it's the same thing, is it? It's the same, same company, just with a different... I wonder why that was that. I wonder why they changed the name in Australia. Oh, right. Interesting. Because they're all franchises. You know you can buy a franchise of these things. I quite fancied one in, in here, just, just outside the front door. I quite fancied sort of a little McDonald's. Because we've got a Burger King up on the corner. That's open until like, really early hours of the morning. And they have security on the door. I mean, how expensive are burgers nowadays? Security on the door. of it. It's obviously to stop all the drunks and stuff like that. On the cruise, um, Julie was the, uh, the fan of it. I loved it, actually. With Jane MacDonald. What a nice lady. Yeah, I mean, you can go and get some... Uh, I used to love it. But mind you, I like... Did you ever remember watching everybody? Paddington Green. We got that down here in London, and it dealt with the life of people who lived around Paddington Green. And, quite clearly, uh, one was um, a locksmith. There was a, a transgender piano player who worked as a hooker. Um, and there was, there was, it, was, it was a really interesting programme. It was kind of like a reality show, but using proper people who weren't, who weren't acting like you get on TOWIE and Made in Chelsea. It was far, far better. They were far more realistic. And the cruise was brilliant. Jane MacDonald on the cruise. And it just followed life on the cruise. And uh, it, it, was just, it was really good fun, actually. It was really good fun. I wish they'd repeat things like that, as opposed to some of the rubbish we have to put up with. Uh, on the subject of Tuesday, Brian says Noreen started his diet yesterday and he's missing his Greg sausage rolls, crumpets with Marmite, trifle. Do you remember ye old oak ham with all the jelly? I do. can still buy it. Although I spoke to somebody in the office the other day who hated spam. Spam. And I said, strange enough, Paul Cooper never liked spam either. I loved spam. I don't know what it was. It was a combination of ham and something else. I can't remember what it was. But uh, I loved it. I loved Spam. Thin, thinly sliced Spam with a couple of eggs and some chips that my mother used to make. Yum, yum, yum. Followed by yoghurt. I bought a yoghurt the other day, a cherry yoghurt. Special low fat, so it's bound to have loads of sugar in it. Still so many people, says Noreen, not well, so get well wishes to everybody, and especially my friend Ivy, who's having a, a rough time at the moment. So good luck to anybody who's not feeling particularly 100%. It's not easy, actually. It's not easy. If, if you're feeling a bit blech at the moment, then... Um, Things, things will get better, as they say. Dave says, don't forget the Dairy Lee on your crumpets. I've never thought about Dairy Lee on crumpets. You can put Dairy Lee, can you, on crumpets? I like the sound of that, actually. And, uh, and Clark says, Warburton's do giant crumpets. <laughs> they just about fit in the toaster. <gasps> really? I'm, in I'm more intrigued. I'm sorry, uh, Clark. I know you drive for Warburton's, but uh, I'm more interested in Dairy Lee. Dairy Lee on crumpets. That's deli I like dairy. I don't know what's in it. Probably all dreadful things, but I love it, actually. Uh, I bought a red ma bread maker, says Jimmy. I used it once, gave it to the charity shop. Yeah, that's what I fear I would do as well. I would do the same thing. I, d I, d I don't really need one. I don't really need one. 
Uh, Steve, I heard on the five o'clock news that London has the most congested roads in the world. I know, since Boris has given most of the road space over to bikes, us motorists only have about half a dozen roads left to drive on now. They're so narrow. Well, speak to him this morning. He's with Nick Ferrari. You can you can shout and scream and do everything because he's going to be with uh, with Nick Ferrari. So catch him this morning. Uh, also, Greg's in Maidstone used to do real sausage wrapped in puff pastry with a little bit of onion relish. They called it a traditional sausage roll. Delicious. But then they stopped doing them. Oh, see, why do they stop doing things that we like? And somebody said soft and floppy bacon. I don't think so. Give me crispy any day. Well, yeah, crispy to a certain extent. When you buy it in these uh, sandwich-typey shop things in the stations, it's burnt to a crisp. It's absolutely dreadful. I mean, seriously, sometimes you know, it's like sort of eating all sorts of things. Uh, Steve, on our flight from Spain, we had to pay a hefty supplement because our case was too kilos overweight. However, at least a third of the passengers were rather overweight themselves and could barely fit in the seat. Why don't they pay a supplement? Well, you might be right. Trouble is, I might fit into that one. Uh, get sourdough bread, Steve. I tell you what, I did. Uh, I did. I told you over the weekend we went to this uh, this lovely gastro pub, and they did absolutely delicious haddock in beer batter. Oh my god, it was to die for. Seriously, if they served that in a fish and chip shop, it would be the busiest fish and chip shop in the world. It was absolutely delicious. My favourite school dinner, Steve, was uh, was spam fritters. It's spiced pork and ham, says Jeff the lift man. So now I know. So it's spiced pork and ham. It's delicious, though. I know people don't like it. It's like, um, what did it think you, you also are a little bit divided on? Um, corn beef. I mean, there is so much fat in corn beef. You can see it when you open the tin. But it is nice. But I'm still the Dairy Lee on crumpets. I might have to go and buy some Dairy Lee spread today. Does it come in a squeezy tube? It comes in a squeezy tube. I'm going to be a very happy person. So Dairy Lee. You watch. I'll get into the supermarket. And I'll stand there staring at the shelf going, what the dickens am I in here for? I always forget things. I get in there. I should really write things down. But I, I tend I tend not to. I tend not to. Uh, Angelina says, try crumpets with butter, marmite and fried eggs. Oh dear, I'm not sure about fried eggs. What well, on top of well, obviously on top of it. Oh really? Well, not too sure about that one. Not too sure. Whatever happened to James Arthur, says Kelly, disappeared, vanished completely. And uh, I suspect there's uh, loads more people, aren't there? All these singers that come off these shows. Uh there aren't enough people around. They were showing a thing on that programme. You know where a lot of people sit around watching television. And I, I never liked it. And Google Box, or whatever it was, where they sit there and they've got a gay couple who are just so gay. Then they've got a vicar's, uh, a vicar, female vicar and her husband. She's not much cop either. The two black ladies who look like they're acting for RADA. And a few other NAF families who've got a right turn of the English language. But anyway, they were watching something the other day. And I think it must have been a Simon Cowell programme because he was on the panel with, the, with old Spagbol. And somebody else. And this bloke comes on from Italy. And he goes, I'm from uh, Rome, Italy. And he's, he's not the butchest thing we've ever seen. And he's got a pair of angel wings on as well. And it turns out he's been on the Italian version of Britain's Got Talent or X Factor or whatever it is. And he didn't do well on there. So he's decided to bore the pants off us here. Anyway, having screamed his way through a song and nobody pushing the buzzers to get rid of him, Simon Cowell then declared, uh, that's three yeses. You know, Cheryl Spagbol, what do you reckon? Spag, wake, wake up. God, she thought she was in court. Come on, wake up. And, uh, you know, so put him through. Yeah, put him through. So they all put him through. And then one of the guys watching says, the reason he's put him through, he said, because we've run out of talent in this country. There is nobody else left to appear on these shows. So they start recycling them. And then Simon Cowell will do his usual cod, uh, you know, which is sort of fake kind of, oh, well, I've seen you before. 
Of course you have. They were on last year on the programme. But because they didn't do anything, they then come back. And they haven't improved at all. If anything, most of them get worse. And that's why you never hear of these people ever again. They bring out the album, which Simon then milks, sticks them on tour, which Simon milks. They all get a bit of money. And that's it. And so for the millions that he gets for the programme, he's only had to shell out a very small percentage. And that's how it works. That, that's what the programme is. It's, sort of, it's, a, it's a, a combination of us laughing at people who don't have very much talent. And when you do get somebody who can actually sing, they turn out to look like the back end of a bus. So they only have a very quick album out. They don't, uh, they don't do anything that lasts too long because it's, it's just it's short term. Most of this stuff is short term. Very, very fickle. Very fickle. Uh, Ian says, in Scotland, you get square sausage on morning rolls. Oh, well, that sounds quite nice. And uh, Bill says, Dairy Lee Marmite on crumpets. Utter sacrilege. The holes in crumpets are for butter and butter only. Oh, yeah, but that's the fun of it. But Dairy Lee, doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that just kind of win you over this morning? Dairy Lee. Oh, dear. That's very exciting. New series of the cruise, same as the old one, except this time it's filmed on the princess cruises, regal princesses instead of celebrity cruises. Obviously, Jane McDonald isn't in this one, but funny half her ex is, Heinrich. He's obviously switched companies. Oh, he was very unbel- un- unfunny and very un- untrustworthy, I think. Uh, another one here. A lot of you liking spam, so I'm quite pleased about that. Bacon and peanut butter. Oh, no. I think that's just taken it. That's just a bit stupid, isn't it? Bacon and peanut butter. Not really. Uh, by the way, tree pollen this time of year can cause uh, hay fever symptoms. Not in this studio, though. But uh, And I don't suffer from hay fever. Well, I don't think I suffer from hay fever. Because uh, Samantha says, I've started uh, sniffing too. Could be for other reasons, though, Samantha, do you not reckon? Eh? Just sort of mentioning it quickly in passing. You know, It's the kind of thing we do on a Tuesday morning, being the 15th of, uh, of the March. Two days to St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how we're going to celebrate, because they've already celebrated. Perhaps they're still celebrating. Perhaps the Irish are still out there celebrating. But I've never drunk Guinness in my life. I've never been to Ireland. Never been to Dublin. I've never been anywhere. I don't get around a bit. I'd like to go. I keep, I keep thinking I should go. But then I keep thinking... I, don't, I, don't, I want to go to a bit of Ireland which is quite pretty and quite nice. I'd only go to Dublin, which is just full of drunk English people. I don't, don't fa- If I wanted to you know, bump into drunk English people, I'd go and drink round Trafalgar Square. But I choose not to. Quarter to six... This is LBC with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Well, good, 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 good. We like to make sure that we're all feeling fairly tickety bit. A bit cold this morning. You will discover when you go out there, it's a bit cold. Yesterday was lovely and bright, but cold, but cold. Uh, The story of the moment is the BBC's Top Gear filming around the Cenotaph. And Chris Evans being interviewed yesterday as executive producer of the programme, the man who is supposed to have his finger on the pulse... Uh, he says he didn't know anything about it until yesterday, which, as people have pointed out in the papers, must be either the biggest lie or he's totally out of touch with his own programme, because the BBC say this was sorted out four months ago. However, Westminster Council have now said that they never gave permission to film stunts near the Cenotaph. They said producers asked only to film a car driving down Whitehall, not to perform wheel spins by the monument to Britain's war dead. If the broadcaster had made its intentions clear, it would never have been allowed to film so close. The BBC said the Cenotaph was at no point intended to feature in the programme and therefore will not appear in the final film. So why was a full film crew out there filming this around the Cenotaph with smoke and everything? Why was that allowed? Somebody at the BBC authorised that. Somebody put that through. Somebody put their name to it because you, you pay... 
I think it's something like an £860 application fee and then £2,000 for administration costs. How it can cost £2,000 to rubber seal something, I've got no idea. But it means that they have to sort of put... um, There were loads of police bikes there to stop it and then they go and film. Uh, The BBC says that we're acutely aware of how some of the images in the press look today via the angle and the distance they were taken and for which, as Chris Evans has already said, we sincerely apologise. The driver was briefed by production prior to filming as to where to drive, not to do any manoeuvres close to the monument. Well, you must be either stupid or blind. Look at the pictures. You can see the tyre marks almost next to the cenotaph. I don't care whether you think they're not there. They're quite clearly there. I don't know how you've not seen them. I mean, do you think the BBC really are employing, you know, people just to... I mean, you can see that the tyre marks are literally next to the monument to women of World War II. I mean, they, they couldn't be any closer. I mean, you must think we're stupid or something. But uh, here they are. So they're now said it's not going to be shown. So it cost £100,000. You've paid for it, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. You've paid for it. And I suspect, you know, if there was such a programme, we'd be writing to the BBC saying, why not axe it? £650,000 an episode, up from 450000 which is what we told you before. They've added an extra £200,000 per show. £650,000. Dear God. The good you could do with that, as opposed to a programme that'll be watched by hardly anybody. You know, apart from that loony who earlier on said it's sold to 100, 100 countries around the world. If only it were true. If only it were true. But it isn't. It isn't. It doesn't even pull a huge audience in this country. I wonder whether or not Jeremy Clarkson would have, would have allowed something like that to go through. I suspect not. I mean, the programme was so much cheaper when Jeremy Clarkson was doing it, and it was more entertaining. So far, they've just waded into row after row after row over row. Uh, Lisa Clark, the executive producer, quit halfway through filming after reported clashes with Chris Evans. And... Um, and then the script editor, Tom, uh, and then followed by the script editor, Tom Ford. So they've got a script editor on the programme. Having told us the other day, they didn't have a script. There was no script. They're just unlike the original Top Gear. It's just lies, lies and more lies, isn't it? But apparently the television boss had to release a bizarre statement backing the tight-knit team. Meanwhile, the costs have now spiralled by nearly 50%. And uh, we won't be showing that because it shows the cenotaph. Well, they should hang their heads in shame, ladies and gentlemen, if that's the way they really think at Top Gear. And uh, the film crew, I mean, surely somebody at the film crew should have said to them, are you sure we're supposed to be filming near the Cenotaph? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to ask the patently obvious question. Do you think they know what it is? Do you think they are that intelligent or do you think they don't know what it is? Because judging by Chris Evans's response yesterday, where he said, I knew nothing about it, he must have done. How can you not know anything about something on a programme that you're hands-on? And this was sorted out months ago. How did you not know? I mean, it's, it, who is the executive producer of this programme? They need to find out very quickly. And they need to be fired. It's, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? You know, as usual, the BBC just buries its head. with well, no idea. What, what, Carl? Was it Senator? No, really? No idea about that at all. Paedophile interviewed on, on our radio stations. About, really? Been to prison? Seven years on the sex offenders register? Oh, oh, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, really? God, we thought we'd seen, seen the worst of it with Stuart Hall and everybody else. Jim, Jimmy Savile, what did he do? Oh, Lord, don't, don't give me that one now. Ridiculous, isn't it, really? Um, so, Cherie Blair. Oh, they've started distributing the money in the family. Uh, Cherie has been transferring some of the family's property empire, now worth about £27 million, to her daughter Catherine. 
Car- yes, Catherine. The deeds to a £1.4 million muse house and a £760,000 country cottage have been rewritten in the name of the 28-year-old barrister. Mrs Blair also owns buy-to-let businesses with oldest son Ewan. They own 34 homes between them. My God, the champagne socialist family. Let's garner it all in. Catherine used to own a maisonette. A maisonette. Wait for this, though. Not just any old maisonette. This one was worth just under a million pounds. That's some maisonette, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, after being mugged outside at gunpoint, she sold the property for £1.45 million in 2015. Moved into a townhouse... Uh, which was bought by Mrs Blair for £1.2 million with a mortgage. Within a year, the property was registered in Catherine's name with the mortgage fully paid off. My God, they're minting it, that family. Minting it. It wouldn't have attracted stamp duty as long as the transfer was a gift. It's now worth an estimated £1.4 million. Catherine's second property is a cottage a mile from the Blair's country pile in Buckinghamshire, originally bought for, uh, for Sarah. They paid 600000 It's owned equally by Sarah and Cherie Blair. Within seven months, Catherine's become the sole owner with no mortgage. Wow. And Cherie and Ewan's buy-to-let empire has so far 27 flats, all in the northwest of England. Whoopee! They've really done well lining the old nest, haven't they? Good grief. Uh, the other story that's in the, uh, in the papers today is moles. Now, this doesn't really apply to anybody who lives in a maisonette or a flat or anything else like that. It might not affect you if you've got a garden because uh, moles don't tend to come too much into town. They're more out in the countryside. And they've said here that uh, one man who studied them for 30 years, he says they're magical creatures and molehills are good for your garden. I don't think so. I don't think so. Most people who've got molehills in their garden go, we've just spent a fortune on this garden and now we've got a mole and they pop up all over the place. Not uncommon to see them out in the countryside. I mean, I quite like them, but I wouldn't want them in the garden. Jasper Carrot does a very good uh, comedy sequence talking about moles and how you get rid of them. You know, you bring people in and they put explosions into the ground and it ricochets and it sort of stops them doing it. But they're just doing what they're supposed to do. And they burrow and then they dig up, and then they poke their head out the top, and then they go back down again. And they eat roots, and they eat uh, all sorts of things. And I believe, I believe they eat um, worms. I've seen them eat... Ugh! Horrible, isn't it? Could you ever eat worms? Yes. Oh, sorry, there's another picture of Prince not doing anything today. William and, uh, and Kate... And uh, and Prince Harry dragging along behind. Really, they need to hang a sign round his neck, sort of for sale. One, you know, deeply flawed member of the royal family, ginger hair, losing it, uh, beard, uh, but does lots for charity. Probably can't clean his own shoes. Somebody else does that for him. And um, and they go off together. It's like, you know, the brothers are together. It's a bit tedious, really, isn't it, really? Uh, whose birthday do we celebrate? Good Lord, Penny Lancaster. The Essex-born model and occasional host of Loose Women is the wife of Rod Stewart. She's 45, he's 190, and they're going to renew their vows next year, which is lovely. Oh, and Will I Am is celebrating. Do you know he's only 41? I thought he was about 70. I had no idea. And Eva Longoria, 41. She speaks fluent Spanish, and uh, she's got a degree in uh, kinesiology. Do you know what that is? Anybody ever heard of that? Kinesiology? You'd be horrified when I tell you. This is Eva Longoria, not the brightest penny in the box. It's the science of human movement. What a load of old claptrap, eh? What a load of old claptrap. You've got what, dear? You've got, uh, you've got a, a degree in kinesiology. How marvellous. How marvellous. How interesting that'll be in your work. Perhaps she discusses that uh, with, uh, with Victoria Beckham. She's also godmother to Harper. 
You'd think she'd have a word about the amount of publicity Harper's doing recently. Not very good. And uh, she's also a, a campaigner uh, for Hillary Clinton and the battle for the White House. They all do it, don't they? They all align themselves to somebody, which is always very interesting. So onions are going up in price. I don't know why. There's no shortage. Every time I've looked at Paul Cooper's shop, he's got loads of onions. But uh, the British Growers Association say there is a shortage of large, good quality onions. So, I mean, how many onions are you eating at home? However, for ice cream vans, and the place not to be is Worcester, the tourist hotspot of Worcester. Uh, because the ice cream van's there, bling, 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 bling. And that's how you knew the ice cream van was there. Although if you're in a town centre, you can see them. And in Worcester, they want them to move. So, uh, as opposed to just sitting there, they don't, I don't know if they pay any rent, apparently. And... Um, one ice cream man, Jeff Bright, says, it's an absolute disgrace. I can't say to people, I'm sorry you're being left stranded and drive off. Labour councillor Paul Denham says, it's about fairness to the static traders who paid good money to have a shop. Now, these ice creamers, and I tell you, in London, it got really bad some years ago. There were shootings because uh, the ice cream wars, you know, to get your pitch would be outside one of the uh, museums. Uh, many of them do not have licences. They're there illegally. And the police just go in occasionally and they move them on and they just pitch up round the corner and then they drive around and then they come back in again. And they just carry on selling because there's so much money in it. When you've got to look at the people selling ice cream around the, uh, the museums to realise that they're not the most pleasant people in the world and perhaps you shouldn't do it. Do you remember they actually tried... Um, a few years back, they did a story in one of the newspapers, which I think is nearly as good as my story about going down and buying some of these pasties from these places on the stations and seeing what's actually in it. Because I think we might be a little bit scared and a little bit horrified and perhaps we won't buy them anymore. But they went down there and they, they pretended to be Japanese and, uh, and they added over a £20 note and the man pretended it was a fiver. He gave them change out of a fiver. And they went, oh, is that right? And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So be very, very careful. Morning, Treasure. Morning, Treasure. We good this morning? Well, we like to hear. I like people happy coming up to the news at six o'clock, because six o'clock is a good time. I know. And look, all the sweeties have gone from the hub next door. No sweeties left. I love the way he points at me. Coming up to the news at six o'clock, it's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Top Gear is uh, the most successful reality TV show in history. No, it isn't. That's the trouble. Oh, I tell you, we're dragging them all out today, aren't we? All the people who've got illnesses and who Matron has not actually sort of been round and given medication to this morning. It's, uh, it's just not good enough. They can't sell it at the moment. They're struggling. News is next, though, which is not struggling. On Leading Britain's Conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday, the 15th of March. I hate it when somebody walks into my studio and they go, I've got loads of gossip to tell you. And I think, now we go back into the programme. Just when I, Not that I thrive, as you know, on gossip. Not much. Steve, I know a bit about uh, kinesiology. Kinesiology. It's a very interesting science. For example, by doing certain movements, kinesiology exercises, you can balance your brain's hemispheres. Do what diddy diddy. I'm a mushroom, I think, <laughs> apart from that. And uh, another one here says, I don't like Top Gear. It turns out that uh, you're not out of kilter with what the rest of the, uh, the world appear to be saying at the moment. They appear to have made a huge, huge mistake at this time. And I think heads need to roll. If somebody's head doesn't roll, then uh, there'll be an inquiry. They'll have to be. The one thing that you can't do... It's like, it'd be like... I mean, I can't think of anything that would be as bad as, as driving a car driven by an American around a memorial to the war dead. I can't, I can't think of anything that would be so bad and so, you know, just dismissed. 
by the BBC. Just dismissed. It's like, you know, well, we didn't... Uh, it was done four months ago. It was all sorted out months ago. But uh, they can't tell you who it was who actually signed the order for it. Because somebody would sign the order. Somebody must have made the application, as you know, to Westminster Council. And they would have to say, this is what we want to do. You pay the upfront fee. And obviously money is limitless at the BBC for Top Gear. 650000 You could probably get about six months' worth of Blue Peters out of it, which probably gets a bigger audience, I should imagine. Top Gear's audience is pitifully small. Pitifully small. It was very successful with Clarkson and the team. And now they've, they've tried to sell it again. That's why they brought in Matt LeBlanc. They, they haven't been as successful trying to sell it because people have got no idea, uh, they say, who Chris Evans is. So the people weren't buying who were buying it before. Why would you want a programme that's upset a nation? You know, loads of countries would not be interested in touching it. It's a case of it's an unknown quantity. So you've got rid of the last three. Well, we got rid of one and the other two went. OK. And who's doing it now? Chris Evans. OK. And a team of seven. The seven presenters. It's got a budget of nearly three quarters of a million pounds on each programme. I mean, for that, you would expect them to rebuild, you know sort of uh, Disneyland, but uh, no, you just get a silly little programme about cars. You know, you don't need to drive on the streets of London. It's of no interest. The whole interest with that Top Gear programme, putting it into context, is the fact that all the audience turned up into an aircraft hangar and they got the presenters there with the cars and everything else. Then occasionally they watch television screens. You don't need to go filming on the streets of London or didn't, didn't Chris Evans and the family decamp to South Africa a short while ago? You don't need to do that. The programme's got a history. It doesn't need to do it. It really doesn't. Um, another one here. A lot of people are not telling me about this uh, kinesiology. Whatever it is, it's most peculiar. Most peculiar. And I certainly shan't be uh, going there. <laughs> 84850, steve at uk. So James Martin's on tour. And James Martin on tour at the moment is packing them in, absolutely packing them in, which is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And so they've done a piece on him uh, saying how how brilliant, how brilliant he is on tour. And I did predict that he would be on tour and it would be very successful. And it's a sellout, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, did you see, says Christine, the wee Westie that won Cruft? So mine is only ever that white when bathed or comes from the groomers. Yes, they, they, they tend not to be. But these are all pampered and, you know, covered with chalk powder. All sort of, The things they'll do to, uh, to tart dogs up. I mean, that's, that's how they do it nowadays, isn't it, really? And... Um, Matt says, with the BBC, the easiest money to spend is someone else's. Nobody seems accountable. Well, they don't know. They don't know what's going on. They have no idea. You have to tell the BBC. The papers have to go to them and go, um, so you've had um, uh, a convicted paedophile who's been fated on all your programmes. Really? Well, how did they? I don't understand how that... They don't know what's going on. They seriously, it's now got so big, they do not know what's going on. And they then have to sort of have an inquiry to find out how this actually probably made it into the newspapers. Which is very odd, isn't it? Very, very odd. Uh, I was smoking joints at 16, says PC's teen killer. Six years, at six years old. I cannot believe that at six years old somebody was smoking joints. I, I mean, I'm really, as I say, I must have been completely off with the uh, with the pixies on that one. It's amazing. Uh, poor old John McCrerick. He's now gets, uh, you know, they have to get him with his shirt off. Man's a complete idiot. A complete and utter idiot. I don't think that's why he was dropped. I think he was old fashioned. And uh, and Ross Kemp says um, he's wetting himself about returning to EastEnders. I don't know what I've lost track of who's going back to EastEnders. There's something going back, isn't there? Isn't that where they were thinking about taking back um, 
uh, what's her face? Daniela Westbrook. And everybody's going, don't take her back. What do you want her back for? She couldn't act first time round. Don't put her back in again the second time. Tesco's the first ones to put petrol at over a pound a litre. It yo-yos up and down, doesn't it, our petrol? Whoosh, up and down. I never understand either. Go to Austria on holiday. It's very nice. Go to Austria on holiday. And uh, they set the exchange rate in the morning. And that applies for the whole of Austria. The same exchange rate. Exchange rate here, different every single place, depending on how much commission they charge. It's absolutely unbelievable. Austria seem to manage it very well. We can't manage that at all. So let me get this right, says Kevin. If I vote Labour, Steve... I get to own over 30 homes, mortgage-free. Yes, the Blair family are so lucky, aren't they? So, so lucky. Liz in Maidstone's getting fed up with the ice cream van that's always parked outside my daughter's school gates every afternoon. It's not nice to have to tell her not today, because I haven't got the cash. It's a, it's a load of... Uh, it's cheap, it, It's cheap, isn't it, an ice cream, though? Can't you get a lolly for, like, 30 pence or 50 pence? I could eat a lolly now, actually. Could eat a lolly. I used to drink those, uh, eat those orange lollies, which were fantastic. And uh, they were good thirst quenchers. Now it would be lemon and lime. That's a good thirst quencher, isn't it? Thirst quencher. We like lemon and lime. Uh, Kinesiology, says David. A load of old hokum. Just like Reiki. Somebody puts their hands on you to align energy. What nonsense. Um, yes, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, actually. Have you ever had reflexology done? That, that's a bit strange. I don't like anything where people lay their hands on you. I'm slightly suspect about that. I remember once I had to, somebody started playing with my feet. Well, I hate my feet being played with. I really don't like that. I go, oh, should we do this mass? No, don't. Please don't. I don't like anything like that. I'm incredibly ticklish. It would be a nightmare. Uh, Top Gear is like the Kardashians. You know what happens months in advance of it airing and nobody cares, says Rob. Yes, I don't, well, they certainly don't care this time round. They certainly don't care this time round. They've just, you know, they've just racked up disaster after disaster. As a diabetic person, Steve, normal bread and rice contain over 75 grams of carbohydrate per 100 grams. Not good for you. Lose, use low-carbohydrate bread. Instead, uh, call Buren a pound of loaf in Iceland and £1.25 at Tesco contain less than 25 grams per 100 grams carbohydrate. That's what people want, isn't it, nowadays? Gluten-free is very popular. Also use pearl barley instead of uh, the other stuff. I can't, listen, I can't be bothered to faff around with stuff like that. I think either eat it and be damned or don't eat it. It's as simple as that. I just, you know, if it makes me ill, it's going to make me ill. Whatever, I can't do anything about it. Uh, 84850, uk. Some more of your uh, texts and uh, emails. Uh, apparently... Kinesiology is actually a well-established discipline and the degree is usually an entry to further studies such as uh, physiotherapy, chiropractic school, sports medicine, regular medicine, being a gym teacher, says Colin, who's in Canada. No, it's Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. We, we, we think it sounds mad, actually. It's the way that they actually describe it. It always sounds mad. Uh, Steve, uh, I can't see Clarkson doing anything like this so-called stunt. Uh, only as he's done lots of work with our military on previous shows and he respects them. Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand how they even allowed it to get through. Julie wants to know what producers do. <laughs> Where do we begin? Where do we begin? What to produce? And the idea is producers produce things. So either they'll produce a guest for you, uh, or in the case of this programme, I mean, you know, you can't dictate what I say on the programme because this is what I do on my show. But, uh, but without the producer, and God bless him and all who sail in him, you know, he is the sort of person who sort of pushes buttons. 
he pushes buttons and makes sure that it all sounds perfect and that my voice sounds mellifluous and you know and and you go home going do you know we've heard a really good radio program this morning and so that's what he's responsible for uh, on other programs like Darren he would produce you know, and different programmes, like Nick Ferrari has as producers on his programme, and somebody maps out, this is what we're doing at each time slot. And Well, I don't know. My programme doesn't work like that. Each programme is different. Some, some producers have to work harder than other producers. My producer maybe doesn't have to work as hard as other producers in the building, because he's only got to sit there and look pretty. You know, which in itself, we start with a handicap. You know, it doesn't kind of work like that. But that's what he's there for. He's there. He's basically there. If I say something that is vaguely funny, if he laughs, that's my barometer. So, of course, most of the time he sits there. I think he's wearing a mask, to be honest with you. But that's that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they do. They, they produce things. They make sure that the programme sounds as good as it can. You know. <laughs> uh, 84850, Steve at LBC dot co dot uk we take some more of your uh, texts and uh, emails uh, worth noting the real top gear will appear on amazon prime later this year starring jeremy james and richard and also show producer andy uh, wilman of course it will have a different name like sort of top speed or something but it's the appeal of the presenters i'm not interested in matt leblanc i'm sorry I'm re- I really couldn't care less. I think we've got loads of presenters in this country, and they seem to be using all of them on Top Gear. £650,000 per show. It's just such a ridiculous waste of money. Such a ridiculous waste of money. Perhaps they'd like to dedicate one of the fees to a, maybe, a, uh, maybe a, um, a military charity. That would be quite nice, wouldn't it, if they decided to do that? But so far, they're all burying their head in the sands, trying to dismiss themselves from it and sort of get as far away as possible. Uh, let me tell you, it's LBC News Time. 6.15 now, the latest headlines for you this morning with Rupert Bartia. Leading Britain's conversation, Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Tuesday the 15th of March, we're with you until 6.30 and a really good free podcast today. Love you. <laughs> it's, like working, it's like working in a kid's toy shop round here. Some, some days, honestly, they're, they're quite mad. They are quite mad. They really are. Uh, so, some of the other stories. The RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland, replacing 220 workers with robots. A friend of mine just said to me, I say a friend of mine, he's, I think he's off the Christmas card list. He said, what's all this fuss about, uh, about the Cenotaph? It's just a memorial. He said it doesn't mean anything at all. And I think Ian Collins might have said roughly the same the other night. Was he saying the same sort of thing? Saying, does it really matter? It's just, a, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It does to me. I mean, not, not physically or not in any way sort of shape or form. But I just don't understand why somebody would want to do that. But he was, he was saying that, um, that it was sort of, it was OK to do that. He said you can smoke by it. You can park your bicycle up against it. What was Ian Collins saying about it? Did he have a different stance? Oh, you oh, right, you weren't listening to me. Oh, thanks. Oh, OK. Well, it doesn't matter. I don't want to mention it again. No, I'm not going to. I was funny, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I was broadcasting, so that's, that's, the, only, that's the only clue we get. But, I mean, I, I, I thought it was wrong. The papers think it's wrong. But there's this friend of mine, Chris, he doesn't think it's wrong at all. He thinks it's quite normal. I said, you're just being controversial. You know, because there's no point in following the, um, the, uh, the sort of the offensive line, is it? You know, if people want to do something completely different. But, you know, here we go. Apart from the sheer arrogance of the Top Gear associates, says Gabrielle, I'm disgusted George Osborne, who tweeted about the noise of cars filming in Whitehall and saying, just to keep it down because he's working on the budget, disrespectful idiot. The BBC and the government knew exactly what Top Gear was up to. Exactly. They would have to be told. You're telling me 
that the people in Downing Street did not know that there were filming taking place out. Of course they would know. They'd be sent a thing saying, this is Downing Street. There's all the police around there. Do you think all of a sudden they go, what, what's going on here? Oh, they're filming. They've got a bit of paper. Of course they knew about it. They'd have known about it months ago. Months and months ago. It's all people. They're just buck passing, aren't they, at the moment? It's getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, didn't Ross Kemp do the voiceover for Paddington Green? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. Phil the Trucker says, who's going to clean up the black marks? You are. We're, we're actually going to have it done, and it's going to be uh, going to be paid for by us. Yeah, we're actually going to... Yeah. Kevin the Milkman says, uh, your producer drives the desk, and you wonder how he's still got his no-claims bonus. Yeah, well, I say he drives the desk. I mean, it's only because I can't do it. I mean, I, I really can't. I mean, I've, I've never actually learnt, and, uh, and, and, and I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I would not know exactly where to begin. I know that they all get taught how to drive the desks around here, but to be honest with you, it's like driving mission control. It's quite complicated, isn't it, really? I suppose, you know. Yeah, it's intuition, but that's why I can't do it. I cannot broadcast and drive a desk at the same time. I think Clive Bull does it, doesn't he? I think Clive Bull can... Can he... Oh, he doesn't. Oh, right. Oh, he used to. Yeah, he used to. Now now he doesn't. Uh, Sean says, you sounded great on uh, that other radio station. Must be the microphones. They're all the same. All our microphones are the same throughout the entire building. Out of all the studios that we've got here, and it must... I don't know how many studios we've got. Loads. Loads and loads of studios. Um... Apparently, it appears Jeremy's punch to the head has sent this presenter into a state of disillusion, into thinking the stunts are a good idea. Ah, well, I mean, I don't... To be honest with you, I don't think it's a stunt. I don't think it's a stunt. Uh, I think that they just do it. They probably thought it was sort of some sort of publicity, but unfortunately, it's the wrong sort of publicity. Uh, Johnny Boy says, can't uh, start work until your show's finished. I know, it's kind of, it gets a bit distracting, doesn't it, really? A little bit difficult, a little bit difficult to actually concentrate on anything else because we've got another seven minutes to do on the, uh, the programme and so we like to get everything in and sort of tidy up all the, uh, the loose ends. Uh, Steve, the bloke who drove the car on Top Gear obviously didn't know about the 20-mile-an-hour limit. I know, I mean, there is a tw- there's a limit, isn't there? You're not supposed to go faster than... Well, I think in London they've, they've itemised it down. Uh, a lot of people asking questions about Pip Schofield's latest excursion into his uh, theatrical side. And uh, this is back in the room. People asking, is it faked or not? To be honest with you, it's so bad. It's, it really wouldn't make any difference. Uh, you know, people have to make up their own mind. But it's, it's so dreadful. You know, and as we pointed out before, ITV have only got three presenters. Anton Deck and Pip Schofield. There isn't anybody else. That's all they've actually got. And so every single programme, they have to... Um, to sort of pass on to them. I think uh, Phil Vickery and I could do a double-headed pro. We could do cooking, cooking for beginners. I could be the beginner. He could sort of go, you can't do that. I think you should make sausage rolls with real sausages. Not sausage meat, but real sausages. Uh, Biggest mystery, uh, according to Ian Highland in the paper today, was how come the loose women didn't offer the guys who could only communicate in whale and dolphin noises a weekly guest spot? The answer is you'd probably understand more from them than you do the usual bunch of caterwauling that goes on. Dreadful, really. Uh, If they're not under Keith Barry's spell, it must be said that they're the worst actors I've ever seen on television. And Ian Highland said, this is the Pip Schofield programme, he says, and I've lived through El Dorado, Towie and Sarah Harding. I mean, she can't act for toffee. I mean, that's got to be the worst thing you've ever seen in your entire life. I'm sorry, dear, what, what accent are you? 
I mean, she thought she was going to be in the programme for ages, didn't she? And it turned out the, the producers had different ideas. Once they realised how dreadful she was, having flogged them via her agent, the idea that she'd been in quite a few films, well, like two, I think, um, it's, uh, it's a case of to get rid of her as quickly as possible. So they shoved her onto the jump. I mean, where she's going to pitch up next, I've got no idea. We could do Saturday Kitchen as a double act, says Phil. We could actually, couldn't we? Except that means I really would be working seven days a week. I think you could probably summon up the energy, actually, Phil. I could pro- well, I mean, you could probably summon up the energy. I, I could sort of do the interviews with people, and, you- and he-, he could do the cooking. We could pitch it. Steve and Phil, the people who are going, that Steve doesn't know a thing about cooking. But that would be the interesting thing about it. You know, I can't, I, I wouldn't know where, where to begin with things. So he'd have to cook it, and I, I could be, you know, sort of the other part of it. I could be the Pip Schofield bit, eating food. What a lovely thought, actually. What a lovely thought. Do you not think, Steve, that we're now getting a better picture of the BBC as previously when Clarkson did some, sully, some silly stunts in filming, uh, like they went to America with cars with the slogans on, but they all blamed Clarkson? Um, I think so, Karen. I think so. I mean, I, I think, to be honest with you, it's, I mean, I think that the moment Clarkson and the team went, they should have axed the programme. Seriously, I mean, I, I really think that they should have done. What's the point of trying to remake something which now costs £200,000 an episode more to make than it did when it was with Clarkson? And with Clarkson, it was sold all over the place. You know, why, why not keep it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It was all to do with Clarkson losing his temper and, uh, and the other two didn't want to work with anybody else. And quite rightly so. Quite rightly so. Ian says... Um, I'm going to have to podcast you. And I found your book on Amazon. It's not difficult to find on Amazon. My book is on there. So you want to be a celebrity. And uh, very shortly, there will be the audio version of it. Just reading about the judge at Crufts, says Penny, who gave the prize to her sister's dog. Happens all the time in the world of showing dogs. All the judges know each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, she says that she's totally unbiased, so I have to take her word for it, because I don't know, I'm, I don't go to Crufts. I wouldn't be remotely interested in uh, in going to Crufts. I didn't find the story earlier on. I was going to find more about the RBS replacing staff with robots. Um, the Dead Dogs is a story. If you're a dog lover, you don't want to read it because you want to do serious damage to these people who abuse animals. Uh, the Itching to Find a Cure, we might have to find tomorrow. Madonna, I decided to leave well alone today. She was boring yesterday. She's going to be even more boring uh, tomorrow because she's still doing the, oh, Rocco back. And they're going, you're not having him back. He doesn't want to be with you. Simon Danjuk, guilty of fiddling his expenses, fined £11,000. Bit like that other one, isn't it? David Lammy. Fine for fiddling those phone calls, which he shouldn't have made because nobody asked for them. 35,000, if you please. Uh, the Stroke Man, we didn't get round to. Uh, the Cheltenham Races, I really didn't know what to do on that. Be a lot of very badly dressed people, I suppose. And, uh, and why does the Queen always forgive Andy's cock ups? Well, because she didn't got anybody else to talk to, I suppose. And Andy was the one who sort of single handedly, he saved Windsor Castle as the castle was burning. Because the royal family decided not to put smoke alarms in. Pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. And it burnt. And then, of course, luckily, you you sort of got it all back together again very quickly. And Andrew was the one. He organised all the the servants. Servant, you servant, come here. Uh, Take uh, items out of the castle. No, don't put them in your car. Put them here. They're mumsies. Come on, put them here. And everybody very happy. (coughs) <coughs> so that's why she uh, she supports him. Although, as I say, whilst uh, Prince Philip's alive, Sarah Ferguson ain't going anywhere near that family. He hates her, in keeping with the rest of the world. So that's quite nice. Anyway, have a lovely day. I'll be back with you tomorrow 
where, once again, history will repeat itself and we'll try not to feature Madonna on the programme. You can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Worth getting, I promise you. And you can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, you can download that free LBC app for your mobile or tablet and never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at seven, Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Looking at the papers today, Gideon Spanier will be in the studio. David Spanier's son. But, uh, coming up next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news. LBC. LBC.